internationally. BeBest have evolved into a platform. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. This is the podcast and it's the first one of the Biden era. And it's also the first one without Melania Trump as our first lady. I don't and... know why I had to go internationally. <laughs> I just have to say, it's a crushing blow. It's a crushing blow. I lost my um, I thought room. for sure. I came to find where the White House has gone. I'm on the plane now. I don't know where I'm going. I thought for sure everyone would see the wisdom of what I saw. You have to stop and... the steal, Camille. <laughs> Install Melania as our perpetual, permanent, designated first lady. You know, you used to play games at school. You had like designated quarterback, you know? Yeah, a little bit. Yep. It just should have been what we did. It was never you, was it, Camille? You know what? It was. Really? It's a world-class athlete. I still am. I'm in my prime, baby. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I should do the rest of the thing. I'm just, I'm so thrown off, like thinking about Melania. Um, But maybe Matt Welch, Breeze Magazine editor at large over there can help me get through this. And perhaps with, some additional assistance from Michael Moynihan of Vice News, who has been on the road this week. Perhaps you can tell us what he's been doing <laughs> this week. So I have Melania playing. In the he's back. Been, <laughs> I just can't stop it, man. It's just he's so been good. getting to the bottom the of the best. I did uh, listen to that on the plane um, home from Arizona, and uh, I listened to it like seven times because she gave a goodbye speech of mm-hmm. six minutes and thirty-five seconds of complete incoherence that I loved. <laughs> and I was just, I was crying on the plane mm-hmm. and her shirt on. It was amazing. She's so you mean on. elegance, grace, so elegant. this woman who can speak 52 languages. Yep. I Poor, mean, poorly. <laughs> <laughs> even poorly is better than most first ladies. I, well, you. when I listened to that, I was like, has she been to America yet? Or is this, <laughs> is she getting geared up for it? Like literally speaks more languages than any first oh, lady. Absolutely. And also she's, ever. she's the hottest first lady. Holy crap. True. Since uh, Chester Arthur's wife. Facts. Yeah. So Facts. And true. she was bad. She was she bad. Was bad. She, was bad. she looked, she looked happy uh, well, on that last day. Uh, oh, Melania. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I mean, she, was she looked, she looked phenomenal. Like that's as, it, it was a top five day for her. Yeah. I always like yeah. it when she goes the Castro uniform that she does sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is pretty good, but um, she's had a few uh, uh, strong days. But like the black and those shades that she was, she rocking. looked like Audrey Hepburn. She had yeah, she an Audrey really Hepburn vibe to her. And the thing is, is that I think all you people out there have to understand something. You can separate the man Donald Trump from mm. his amazing, talented, vaguely coherent wife <laughs> Melania. Who is now, I don't know what's going to happen to her. I'm quite worried of what she'll do next. And everyone's, everyone's saying, oh, that she's going to get divorced. I, don't, I think Melania's happy. She's going to run, she's going to run for president. I have Uzbekistan. She's going to run for president. I'm going to be president. <laughs> I like to have the children, which I made the gardens for during my presidencies. That's amazing. I mean, honestly, could you imagine, just try to play back the last four years in your head yes. with Melania Trump as the president. That'd be great. Her and That'd be great. I talked to Little Rocket Man today from <laughs> one of the Koreas. I don't know which Korea is one of the big ones. 
The North one or the South one? It's not even clear to me. <laughs> one of the big ones. The oh biggest Korea, come here. I like to be, to be first lady for you all, all times. She, she, she does not speak English as a first la- language, but she is not dumb. No, okay? she's not. She's, she's, not she's best ever. No, she's not dumb. I love Melania and, and was not a fan of her husband, as listeners' podcast yeah. know, but, um, but I, I was always a fan of Melania. And my, my heart went out to her. And I'll tell you what, how great Melania is. As we've mentioned, one of her old friends, quote unquote, uh, taped her to write a book that nobody read at, at the end of uh, the presidency and mm-hmm. had secret tapes. And the secret tapes contained nothing explosive. Yeah. You tape I mean, Camille Foster for 20 seconds. <laughs> and it's just like his career is over. I mean, it takes 20 minutes. You 20 seconds. Yeah. He's like, Jeffrey Epstein? That man's a hero. I'm like, what? <laughs> you don't even talk like that. Why are you talking like that? But it's only so bad. How young were they? <laughs> How young? <laughs> that's not actually me talking. That's no, not Camille. That's not, that's not Camille. Uh, that was that we dubbed in someone else's voice. Yeah. You sound like Cat Williams. That's inappropriate. One of your friends in Doghouse over there. Yeah. Are you still going now that you live there? Do you actually go to Doghouse? Like, is there a clubhouse? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hosted an an event last week. I did a a thing with the mayor of San Francisco, the mayor of Austin, and the mayor of Miami. I mean, London Breed. Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? We had conversation. How'd it go? It was. It was. It was interesting. Um, I mean, I I was the moderator. Um, you know, not. I guess impartial moderators. I don't want to say too much. And it's also one of those things where it, there've been some reporting on this. So you can go find details about how it happened, but I don't, you know, I don't want to share anything from behind closed doors, but you know what? I'll say this. Politicians are very good at talking. Mm. They're also very good at saying things and not really saying things. So in a circumstance where it is not terribly adversarial, um, it is entirely possible for <laughs> politicians to say a great deal to one another and about one another without saying much of anything at all. But I do think that the exchange was quite revealing. And the, the reason for the exchange, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know that San Francisco and California broadly have been bleeding population. Um, and San Francisco has had a, a rather difficult time getting tech founders um, and VC investors um, prominent entrepreneurs, people like uh, Elon Musk, who is now the richest man on earth. Uh, he's now the richest man in checked. Texas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he's the richest man in, on earth who lived in California before yeah. and relocated to Texas. And Tesla is opening a new manufacturing facility in Texas. Um, and Tesla isn't alone. Oracle has recently relocated from the Silicon, from Silicon Valley to um, Texas. Apple already has a foothold there. Various other companies are already in Austin. Austin is is kind of a big deal. This is a very, very much a going concern. Um, and Miami is not nearly as well known um, a destination for tech companies that are looking to leave San Francisco. But why leave San Francisco, you might ask? Mm-hmm. Well, the exploding <laughs> crime rate. I don't have to ask because I've been there. <laughs> Extremely recently. high housing yeah. costs and various other challenges associated with quality of life. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting exchange. And I will say this, I mean, Clubhouse is a super interesting platform. I mean, I'm trying to imagine where else something like that would happen. Because it's a very, this conversation is a very live ball. So for London to be there, essentially talking to two of her, you know, rival mayors, they're all competing for the same talent. Um, And also there were some other folks in the room as well. Um, Uh, Mark Benioff, 
who is the CEO of Salesforce.com, who owns like half of downtown San Francisco. Um, and uh, Jeff Lawson, I believe his name is, who is the, the founder of Twilio. Um, both of them were also on the call. So it was, it was interesting. There's always usually some, there's only some like old rapper on there too. Was, oh yeah, there was, there were a few of those. Was there? MC, MC Hammer was there. Okay, good. He's um, from Oakland. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. The girls from Oaktown 357. <laughs> well, you know, cut. MC Hammer, people don't know. People sleep on MC Hammer. MC Hammer is like a big, uh, is big in the tech space. Um, he's like super into science and technology and innovation. I believe he's made some, some interesting investments in the space. So he, Camille, can we also point out that he was on at there. one point super into you and he's now gone off you a little bit. Is that, can we talk about that a little bit? Is that, I is mean, that okay? I don't want to, I don't want to say too much because it, it hurts me. Yeah. But, I mean, I just remember the first time we had an interaction on clubhouse and at the end he was like, Camille, that was great, man. You are great. Just yeah. brilliant. And I was like, wow, MC Hammer just said that I'm great and brilliant. And then, you know, some weeks later, he was less Camille. excited. <laughs> yeah. He was less excited I to talk to you. He was very yeah. disappointed. Um, yeah. Camille, when, when he my discovered uncle. some of my Tom. other views. Yeah. <laughs> but, you That's know, the- you shouldn't be upset about that. If it was like, if it was like Q-tip or something, I'd be upset. If it yeah. was like Reverend Run, I'd be upset. But, you know, it's MC Hammer. <laughs> he had one record that did what, you know, he'd kind of. Look, the one most famous. Record? Look, well, look, there isn't. Uh, this, not listen, don't, listen, the most famous thing about it. MC okay. Hammer is the behind the music about him, but how he lost all his money, right? No, it is not. Fall- yeah, it is. Now it's no, I will defend that man yeah. with my life, okay? Yeah. MC Hammer means a lot to me. His music meant a lot to me. MC all Hammer gets the gas face. All of it. And MC Hammer, <laughs> there. You, I'm not joking about that. Yeah. You don't know what happened. Did you to ever do the, joked about that? Did you ever do the shoulder <laughs> pants, uh, shoulder pads, uh, baggy pants? Uh, Never had the shoulder pads thing. Never had the shoulder pants. D- definitely had um, hammer pants yeah. at some point in the past. I mean, because you just do. Um, yeah. But yeah. But no, I mean that that's definitely not the most famous thing about him. But also, I mean, he did inspire that great Rick Ross song, which is phenomenal. He was also um, a bat boy of the Oakland A's. He was a bat boy of the Oakland A's. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he was. That's how he got his name. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But by the way, speaking of Rick Ross, speaking Uh-oh. of the original Rick Ross, uh, Freeway oh. Ricky Ross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, for those of you who listen to the Patreon, you know, we always talk about doing some weird um, special episodes. We do a special episode every week, so you should subscribe. Um, and, Are we going to do a special episode with Freeway Ricky Ross? Well, no. I, no, I, <laughs> I was. It was the only time your 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 phone line broke up, so you're fine. Um, it it uh, no, I want to do something on the Stanley Nelson film, and I want you to watch it too because I watched it on the plane. The one about oh, crack, yeah. and the yeah, one about it's a, it skirts into it skirts the conspiracy theory of CIA and crack. And um, it's at times really interesting and at times completely uh, maddening. And you should watch it and we should do a, uh, a review of that movie because it's, it's pretty interesting. And I did a review for the Daily Beast of Stanley Nelson's uh, documentary about the Black Panthers, which is one of the shittiest documentaries that has, of course, like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but it's, it's terrible. And I expected this one to be as bad. It wasn't as bad. There were some moments where they blew up some, some myths in these things, but it, it didn't, it was incoherent in a lot of ways, but it did actually get to the thing that we've talked about before is, you know, there's an interview with John Conyers who's like, yeah, we had to make the crack the sentencing much worse. And so they get, they <laughs> that's get, pretty good. Yeah. God, he's like a thousand years old yeah. now. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, so that that we should we should do that because it's a it's a great it's a it's a great topic. It's a really interesting topic. So. Yeah, yeah. No, we got Joe Biden's a couple, in of, too, so. a couple of movies that we are corporately watching. And oh yeah, we'll, yeah. Perhaps discuss and get some of the the talent behind the film. Yeah, we got one of those hopefully coming up soon. So I think that'll yeah. be yeah, but it'll be a good one. So a big film and a big filmmaker. So boom, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest. Yes. only the best. Yes, yes. Martin, Scors- Martin Scorsese is going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, is anything happening in America nope. now? Nothing. Um. Well, I mean, again, Morgan. new president. There was an inauguration yesterday. I, I can I be honest? Can I mm-hmm. keep it one hundred? Yeah. I didn't watch any of it. Not a bit. Not at all. Not not, not, not even the, like the Tom Hanks. Not even a little bit. Prime time. <laughs> you nope. didn't watch the uh, Jan Michael Vincent. At the None. End. <laughs> None. <laughs> I, I caught. Whiffs, I would watch. I caught that. whiffs I of what was going Jan. on via Twitter, but that's it. The uh, we shared this around uh, amongst the three of us earlier. The only coverage of this that resonated with me emotionally in any way was a uh, Jack Schaefer's piece in Politico <laughs> and uh, Jack's, the, Jack's the greatest, uh, which uh, the lead, which is not in front of me, but it's one of the better uh, media criticism leads, but it was just basically like, look media. If you want to maybe have uh, half of the country, not think that you're a thousand percent in the tank, maybe get your tongue off the boots <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for a half a second. Um, no, I really like it. it I realize that these things, that these most of American political pageantry is not made for me. I am not the target audience of it. Um, but my God, it, it's much worse when you have to watch the way that, in my case, I was watching a lot of CNN. Um, mm-hmm. Occasionally, we look at MSNBC. And by the end of the day, I was like, fine. I don't know what channel it is, but I'll watch OAN, please. <laughs> Anything. But I mean, just the stentorian, like Brian Williams nonsense. And, yeah. and, uh, and like suddenly Joe Biden is this figure of immense, like world historical gravitas. It's like Joe Biden. And everyone's comparing them to the Avengers, which I haven't seen that movie, but I, I guess they're the whole thing. I guess it's true. a movie about like boring corporate Democrats. I'm not sure <laughs> what the movie's about. Well, the the corporate bureaucrats end up being uh, uh, kind of uh, a rogue uh, Hitler group. So, oh, that, well, perhaps maybe that's the twist in the story <laughs> here. Uh, no, it was it was there was it was impossible to watch even one minute. Seriously, I'm not exaggeration. One minute uh, a slice of coverage anywhere on a cable network and not feel like totally infuriated by uh, by the overwhelmingness of their take. Mm-hmm. Like so – and and I mm-hmm. say this and I've said nice things about Jake Tapper. He retweeted a thing I wrote to, or I tweeted the other day. So I, I feel bad about what I'm about to say. But Uh-oh. like um, – no, I mean it, it, just like everyone cranked their adjectives to 45. It wasn't even like 10 or even 11. Um, you yeah. know, Trump gives his last speech on the tarmac and it's the usual tr- Trump thing. Um, and, you know, uh, Jake's like, um, of course, that was shameful. There's so many of courses. <laughs> of course, that was filled with lies and totally shameful and, and dreadful and disastrous and things like that. And I'm just shaking my head right now. And then they go to the correspondent. The correspondent says, well, you know, it certainly is a relief that we finally have an administration. I saw this today. Um, um, it was an actual correspondent like that, uh, you know, um, 
knows about and cares about science and the environment. And you really see the difference, you know, people who really actually know policy. It's just such a refreshing change from the last four years. It's like, dude, you're the reporter in the field. You're not like Maddow. You're not like hosting a a kind of a, a, a partisan-ish show or an ideological show. It's the reporters in the field saying this. So like you're just drenched in this all day long. So for those who uh, even caught snippets like that and had a similar reaction, go seek out that Jack Schaefer. Really like um, – this is how you create uh, the kind of anti-media, anti-kind of uh, Hollywood or political class sentiment when you make it so overwhelming that even if you sort of dip your toe in it and you don't, you don't even have like a strong emotional tie one way or the other, but it's so overwhelming and smug that it kind of makes you want to go against whoever's talking to you at that moment. Yeah. And, uh, there wasn't any sense of restraint in that. At I all. mean, it was, it's, you know, the denunciation competition uh, when it came to the, and look, I mean, to, to use Jake Tapper's word, the absolutely shameful, disgusting, gross attack on, on the Capitol. I mean, that's undeniable. And, but did, there did be, you say attack? Uh, it, the well, insurrection. Insur- I'm sorry. I don't know which word I'm supposed to use today because if I don't use the right one, I'm going to the gulag. I heard point. him say terrorism. Um, uh, terrorism. Uh, ter- I don't. I'm not not on that one. If this isn't the terrorism, most brutal act of terrorism ever perpetrated <laughs> against the United States of America. So, like, the, but the thing about that was that just to watch all of these people in the media in real time fall over each other before all of the information was in to uh, you know be so kind of. Just the denunciations were just over the so over the top. There was a certain point where I was like, "Look, you can say that this is a really, really bad thing," as we all did. I think that I think everybody in in on this show, in this room, and on Zoom, kind of said Donald Trump's responsible for this. I don't think there was anyone that 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 doubted that. Maybe there's different degrees of responsibility, but we're uh-huh. all pretty clear about that. And um, I am completely on the side of our our former guest and listener. Representative Peter Meyer from from Michigan, who uh, said, let's impeach the bastard. I was like, yeah, that makes total sense to me. This is actually an impeachment that I would say this is, you know, much more convincing than the other attempts. So I am entirely on board with that. But you feel like you have to throat clear because this is competition to say this is terrorism. No, it's not terrorism. This is terrorism worse than 9-11. This is a a 6-1 versus this will be a, a, a date that will be remembered forever I'll ask everybody <laughs> in eight months. I'll just get randomly eight months. What was the date of that? They're like, I don't know. I think it was in February, right? <laughs> uh, oh, no, it was before he was inaugurated. So maybe it was in December. We've already forgotten the Nashville bombing. Yes, which, by the way, was was a bit worse than that because it was a bombing <laughs> that blew up the entire downtown. So I just, um, a piece that I'm doing, I just watched new footage of this stuff. And the new footage, just like I've said before, every time I watch more stuff, it disgusts me more and more. And, um, but there is that, that, you know, the attempt to constantly one up everybody. And if you're not on the right page here of saying like, no, it's terrorism. Oh, you doubt it's terrorism. And then you have to have that stupid semantic debate, which we had for four years, including on the show about what fascism is and what Nazism is with a bunch of people who don't know anything about fascism or Nazism. They just know they really don't like this administration. I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm on your side. But I try to be a little more precise about these things. So, and, and to seg into one, one thing that you sent today, Matt, on this show, or either it was in the, on this, uh, the, the regular one with all you 
cheap fuckers listen to or the Patreon one for the real people, for the nice people, for the people that pay us. Uh, I said something uh, that I think that maybe got some messages or something that people were mad about. And I said that the guy with the zip cuffs, it could be, we don't know. That was the entire basis of this idea that people were going to be kidnapped and executed. And, 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 and trust me, people, Everybody well, well, part, out there. Partly was the entire basis, because we had some some congressional representatives who also said, you know, based on inside information that they couldn't share, that there was a plot to super trustworthy. Um, it's always I always trust the people in Congress saying I can't yeah. tell you where I got this, but I'm going. It's it's real, and who knows if it is. But all of the media reporting and the number of people you saw on cable news, et cetera, saying, well, you know, this guy's zipped. What do you, what's that for? If not, you know, to to you know to bind people's hands behind their back like the what was it, the btk killer <laughs> and then kill everybody in congress and i'm like that guy who had those would get winded running after aoc and just be like i can't actually i can't do this i'm exhausted i'm wearing he all this did gear have a really really uh yes. ridiculous helmet on he had a huge helmet on and a huge gut and i was accused of fat shaming and by the way i wasn't fat shaming i was just saying he didn't look the part you know, if you're going to try to dress up, try to look the part. You don't look like you're in the military. You look like you're, you know, at the buffet at Chili's or something. You just didn't look tough. That was what I was trying to say. But, um, you know, so this comes out today in the story that you sent that these zip ties, as I said on the show, who knows? He could have picked these up from the cops. And as I said then, we'll find out during the trial because if they're the same model as with the Washington, uh, D.C. police, the Capitol Police have, we'll figure that out. And we figured it out today. There was a news story that said that he picked them up off the ground. And the footage that I saw the other day was all of these shithead Trump idiots like passing on like shields, like police shields that they'd taken from the police. A guy that I talked to said that they had someone showed him the handcuffs of that that cop that was beaten uh, with the tattoos in his neck. But, you know, was ultimately saved. They stole his handcuffs. And he said during the during an interview with CNN, I thought they were trying to steal my gun. Not surprising that the guy ends up with the the zip. It turns out that that's where they came from. So does it make this okay? No. Does it make it less dangerous? No, of course not. But that was something that nobody decided to check. And there should be the Covington standard when it seems really obvious there might be something else lurking behind it. It turned out that was the case here. Yeah, I get I get it as a fear thing. I think uh, the Congressman Meyer, when he was talking with us, Mm -hmm. it was very soon after. And and for him, it was a vet. I was like, whoa, dude had zip ties that maybe indicated some potential uh, seriousness sure. of, of resolve. Totally right to think that. Totally right to think, especially if you're in the room at the time. Yeah, and he, but and, he's a congressman, not a fucking journalist. I yeah. mean, his job isn't to go research it, you know, I yeah. mean, or, or, or maybe withhold a little bit of judgment. And, and one final thing, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to say that it was on the Patreon that I walked something back. And I want to just, if you want to hear my full walk back of this, you have to pay for it. Yep. But I said something about AOC, made a little joke about her saying they're going to kill me. And people, a couple of people wrote in and I think they were right. I was a little too flippant about it and it was a serious situation and I downplayed the seriousness of that. And the more that I looked at the footage and I was like, I think that, you know, she was a bit performative in the video and maybe a bit over the top in the language, but I shouldn't, I think I shouldn't have, have um, made fun of that because it's a very serious situation. And I, I think I was actually wrong about that, but continue. Uh, Camille also wants to apologize. He actually is black. Um, yes. it's been, <laughs> I now, apologize for nothing. Now that you're going on the Bill Maher show, <gasps> oh yeah, whoa, yeah. real time with Big Bill Maher. And that's first. all three. That's all three. Yeah, now. yeah, that is all three. It's all yep. three fifth column. Uh, yeah, hell to the yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I, I was doing the pre-show stuff yesterday and, you know, the phone call beforehand. Oh, so long. Tell you the topics and stuff. Um, and both of, both of your names come up, came up. Oh, and, uh, was it yeah, they, uh, they positive for me, negative for Moynihan? Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, was it a woman who, we, we won't mention her name, but who's lovely. Yeah, She's great. Yeah, she's great. I really like her yeah. a lot. So. Yeah, well, so that's yeah. tomorrow. So everybody will get this up before the uh, show goes live. How so, you feeling, Camille? Yeah. I mean, come on. I'm a professional. I mean, I, know. Mean? I don't, I don't get it. Like I've, I've talked to a couple of people and they're like, oh, it's great. And you're going to, you're going to be on Mars. That's really cool. I mean, dude, are you kidding me? This is what I do. This bigger and different audience. Just it's a, fine. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know about bigger. I've had some big audiences. Really? Yeah. Dude. Two million. Um, they get 2 million viewers. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who, Come on now. Who got you two million uh, viewers? Come on, did you man. go on Tucker? Were you, were you on? Did you sure. do like Woodstock, two thousand five or whatever? Uh, I've done a lot of things. Come on, man. Uh, Camille on, came man. to uh, one of my tapings at uh, That's Bill true. Maher, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a live studio audience back then. That was pre-COVID. So you have no studio audience. Okay, no that, studio audience. That's going to make there's like extensive COVID protocols. I had had someone show up at my place here um, and swab my nose in the lobby of my building and test results just came back and apparently i am still negative for covid you might want to check if that person had anything to do with the bill Maher show or if it was just like <laughs> random well, san francisco measure, hey, um, swap, let me swap your nose <laughs> i don't know about the man who showed up afterwards it was like well we need to do the antiprobe now yeah. and i was just like okay yeah. he's still know, there fine. in fact is that the guy yeah. that's walking around the background yeah covid poop you know, it's like <laughs> terrible uh, but no, it it should be fun. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Who are you on with? Interesting uh, people. I don't know. It's out <laughs> there in the public, so you can say it, it. is. I really don't know. Nobody's I don't know their names. I mean, I'm supposed to know. Do, yeah. do they know who I am? Yeah, I bet yeah. they do. Yeah, exactly. Any so, any celebs is usually the celeb. Is they not doing that? No, now? they they really they they have to produce the show differently. There's only three. There's three guests. It's yeah yeah. It's a, it's a much smaller group of folks. So you know, it's three guests and Bill. I think Bill is interesting now because, I mean, I think when I was on like at the beginning of the Trump business and I, I have always said, I think I was really flippant about people who voted for Trump and then I met a bunch of them and then I was flippant, but I understood them a little mm. more and Bill was, you know, brutal about them. Just like fucking mouth breathing losers and the rest of it. And then on the show, I think last week I saw this clip uh, floating around in which he said, you know, don't conflate the people who stormed the Capitol with 72 million Trump voters. It's actually not good for politics, et cetera. It's not a very smart thing to do. I saw that. I was actually yeah. surprised he said that. You know? I saw that. It was, I thought it was very enlightened. I think he was, he was essentially eulogizing the, the woman who died um, at the Capitol trying to, trying to get into the room and, and was incredibly sympathetic uh, and empathetic. And I, I, thought it was, I thought it was completely the right tone to strike. Um, this, this woman, you know, had sort of fallen into some deluded nonsense and had a lot of challenges in her life and imagined that this was the way to, to find answers to those problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously was wrong, obviously (laughs) mistaken, deluded, taken in by a ridiculous grift, a bizarre conspiracy theory. And yeah. I want to say that everybody situation. should be very kind of circumspect, skeptical of the number of articles that have been that have come out in the past 24 hours about people from QAnon 
Um, and their reaction in the past 24, 48 hours, because apparently in this QAnon conspiracy theory that uh, Trump was to declare martial law and be Pinochet and the whole thing and Q would reveal himself or whatever. This was like the end times was yeah. uh, was the day of the inauguration and nothing happened. And all these pieces came out of people saying, oh, I'm so dumb. My, everyone's laughing at me. Everyone thinks I'm stupid. And I went on to these uh, telegram groups and some of them I've been on to before. And I noticed that the, the, the membership and the people online had swollen by like threefold, fourfold. And there were so many people and they're trolling them. Uh. And here is the thing about this. It might be very honest, but the incredible thing about journalism now is that you can take um, a random tweet and say a threat was made. It could have been made by the person who the threat was made against. They could have made it themselves in a sock puppet account. You can't really tell these things. So, so many of these stories have been produced about comments that are picked out of these uh, telegram groups of saying, I feel like such an idiot. If you stay around long enough and you're in the right ones, nobody feels like an idiot. They're just talking about what's... Because it, it, it's like these millenarian cults in which the world is going to end. And it doesn't end. There's always an excuse, right? You know, it's like Yuri Geller. Every time that he was trying to bend the spoons and when Johnny Carson replaced them with like other spoons, and he would say the same thing. They always say like, the energy's bad in here. I guess it's not the right energy. It's like, no, you were just exposed. And the same thing was happening. These people were exposed. But they, uh, of course, make up a whole series. Of, well, actually, the next date, I think, is March 6th that they're pinning everything on. So the Q thing, there's too many like very, very convenient stories that say, aha, these people, now they feel so, uh, you know, rooked by the, the Q. They're just, it's a great magnet for wackos and weirdos and conspiracy theorists who have always existed but had, had this thing. Which, uh, but it stands. I think it's uh, it. It seems plausible. It seems plausible that you know you had this big moment and this big symbol. And as uh, we we're talking, I think it was on the Patreon, but like that, you know, it, it coincided nicely with this national event of yeah. an election, and then the national event, the transfer of power, and then that could be the time, you know, when the equivalent of the aliens will strike. Yeah. Um, and when that doesn't happen, that's got to let some of the air out of the balloon for sure, yeah. I, I think. And it just sort of like stands to reason for Well, it. they're all talking about it. That's true. But my only thing about this is that journalists who, you know, talk about the sort of code of ethics in journalism, journalism and how you act and how you do this, it, they just don't check these things now because it's actually too good to check. Right? Yeah. And, these people and are, you know, I'm an idiot. There's been, a few, there's been a few decent kind of lengthy treatments of the – uh, kind of conspiracy and the cultures around it, but most of them are not. They're just sort of like a nut yeah. picking uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and cherry picking all of this. The, I remember um, uh, Camille, you're talking about Mar um, and that kind of grace note of, of uh, you know, let's uh, 74 million people who uh, voted for Trump or whatever the number, I think it's 74 million. Um, Jordan Peterson of all people, when he went on Bill Maher, which is a very controversial thing, this, you know, mm. a lot of people are always, getting real mad at Mark as he had on Milo Yiannopoulos. He had on Jordan Peterson. He had Kellyanne and Conway recently too. He like yeah, insists, very upset about that. insists on um, interacting with deplorables or people who are considered to be deplorable. And Jordan Peterson uh, during his appearance brought up a point that has stuck with me, which is like, what are we going to do with all of those people? How do you propose to anybody? He means like just people who voted for Trump, like, to treat them as this block of humans who are kind of beyond the scope of of talking to, that's crazy. And he's right. That is crazy. And, you know, it, I 
I understand that there are many people, and I might be one of them on a given day, who like just themselves can't understand, how could you vote for the guy? But that doesn't mean that it's not understandable that other people do. And, you know, the the ones that you focus like uh, you should focus like a laser beam are the ones who um, knowingly lied in the surface of, uh, in the service of uh, enabling some awful activity. Right. Uh, the opportunists like Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley hmm. or Mark Meadows, these types um, or people who just sort of even themselves believed and got snookered by um, all kinds of uh crazy BS that the president or other people or the cultures around him were saying it's on them to not believe crap. Um, people who are in media who are, who are, you know, spreading this and talking about it and being credulous about it. Um, you know, they deserve it too. A lot of, uh, the people on Fox news. Okay. But like be specific and surgical about that. People who are just going into the ballot booth, whatever they are these days. And, uh, and saying, I don't want to vote for Joe Biden and the democratic party. Um, that's totally normal and rational. Um, so, like, uh, the there's there's a sense always after an election of people kind of wanting to hunt down every straggler and discredit all of them and tar them all with huge accusations. You see in these clips that our people are kind of assembling about deprogramming, right? This this comes up, you know, probably once yeah. an hour on various and cable what, channels. What do we do with the Trump supporters? We how have to deprogram them. We live in a country where so many people actually voted for Donald Trump. You know, deprogramming, by the way, is is not only condescending and, and crazy. And I'm just like you, Matt. I, I can't imagine ever pulling the lever for Donald Trump in, you know, my worst, most deranged day. I wouldn't do it. But, you know, at uh, spending time over the past four years of trying to understand why people did, um, I get it. I still think they're wrong. But I get how somebody can come to that conclusion. Right? Again, I think it's and the we, craziest and we, conclusion to and, come to, but I get our, where they come from. And our whatever our personal views and beliefs are are always going to be outnumbered, and they should because we're all weird and wrong. Yeah. And well, well, actually, speaking huh? of weird and wrong, I just I, I would say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I, mean, I would say, what are finish. you talking about, Matt? Make, I'm just letting y'all finish so uh, I can tell you. Yeah, what's I'm, good. I'm going to tell Camille. You're going to about to tell us what's good, but you know. The, the, <laughs> The thing about the deprogramming stuff is it's always this stuff where it's in one breath. You're like, Joe Biden gave the speech about unity. We have to deprogram these <laughs> yeah. psychopaths. And it's like, and they're talking about everybody who voted Donald Trump, Donald Trump supporters. And if you voted for him, you're sort of nominally a Donald Trump supporter. Enough that you don't think he's a bad white nationalist that you're going to cast his vote, your vote for him, and you hope that he becomes the president again. And it's, right. a, it's a very strange thing at that moment to use that language too, beyond the fact that it's not, you know, this unifying language. It's also the phrase that also comes up with it is debathification, right? Have you heard yeah, this too? Yeah. Debathification yeah, yeah. is what? It's a, it's a modified version of denazification, which I'm sure mm -hmm. everybody wants to use, but, but, you know, is a little kind of, you know, reticent and hesitant about actually saying that on television, like people like the absolutely dreadful Nicole Wallace and all these people that just, you know, have made an enormous amount of money from, you know, doing this performative stuff about Donald Trump. Donald Trump's been an absurdity for as long he's been, as he's been in the kind of political universe when he was, you know, making that attempt for the Reform Party ticket and calling Pat Buchanan a, a fascist and a Nazi and who could vote for a neo-Nazi like Pat Buchanan and then he became the Pat Buchanan of the world. I mean, it's been apparent for a long time. And so the, the thing about, you know, people who are wrong, and I want to get to Camille because he knows he's right. That <laughs> is the thing that I think that you have to attack people like Mark Meadows for. 
and people like Ted Cruz and people like Mick Mulvaney. And the reason is, is because they made a colossally bad bet. We all know they don't believe it. We all know that, I mean, they've all been on the record criticizing Trump in the most kind of vociferous way in the, in, in the past, particularly, you know, 2015, 2016. So what they all did was they made a bet. They said, this is the future of the Republican Party. This is a winning uh, strategy. The people seem to love it. I go to the rallies. You made a bad bet. So every time something comes up like the bad Keystone Pipeline decision, just trying to think of something bad that happened in the past 24, 48 hours. That was a bad decision uh, in my book. You're responsible for it. You're the, you're the, it's, it's your fault. I mean, he lost. And that's why we're in this situation. This is not a hard thing to understand. But people tend to try to get a little too granular about it and, 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 and miss that Donald Trump's politics gave us the politics of Joe Biden, gave us a total control of the House and the Senate and the, and the executive branch. And it's your fault. If you back that stuff up and you say, I can't believe what's happening in this country, motherfucker, it's your fault. You're the reason that this happened. Because so many people abandoned him because of the psycho crazy nonsense. There's a point at which like, it's not fun anymore. It's not funny anymore. Let's go to somebody else. That was inevitable. That was anybody could have predicted that. But of course, it's like, well, they, they, just, they just stole the election. No, no, no. You backed a crazy psycho horse. And this is what happens. It's your fault. Camille, you're right. Tell us. <laughs> well, I would just say that I, I know objectively brilliant people who voted for Donald Trump were supporting Donald Trump. I just, I do. Um, and they have Peter Thiel's not a dummy. <laughs> well, I, I don't sure actually know that Peter, that Peter voted for Donald Trump. I haven't talked to him about his vote. Um, but I've, I've talked to other smart people um, who were supporting Donald Trump for various reasons. Um, and so I, personally i i wouldn't uh but i also wouldn't vote for joe biden um and for me like did I you have, vote this year camille no okay no um i've got sort of similar similar challenges pulling the lever for a representative of either major party um but i didn't have any trouble you know sitting on the sidelines hoping that what we would get was divided government um because that actually seems like a good outcome to me and perhaps more important than whichever individual happens to, to, to win um, elected office under most circumstances. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm at least perhaps a little less, um, a less willing, less willing to cast aspersions at people who decide to vote for Donald Trump and not because I presume that I'm wrong about everything, Matt Welch, because I can at least <laughs> climb into people's heads and try to figure out, like, you know, what rationale they might be using to make a determination as to why one person is, you know, worse than the other. The one thing I will say, though, is that it, it, it does seem important to, to note, and maybe we can, can shift from, you know, talking about the past to talking about the future a little bit here, is this previous election, it doesn't seem to me that this was a, an election where people were selecting, you know, Joe Biden that after 50 years in public life, they said, you know, what we really need is like Joe Biden. We didn't get him that that last time around. <laughs> you know, he's run for president multiple times in the past. Like what we really need to, to turn the page or bright future for, for America is Joe Biden. Joe Biden was kind of everybody's last choice. Like the, 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 the press wasn't enthusiastic about him. Voters weren't generally enthusiastic about him. They, they essentially tried every car twice. And they ended up with Joe Biden. And the in the current epoch 
I, I really think that voters are largely voting against things. They, they can, there are narratives about the other guys and why they ought to hate them. And that seems to be what unifies them and brings them together far more than it is any particular policy position or policy prescription. They, they can sort of trade their policies on a whim and start to run on utterly different things. Uh, you can be a, a law and order candidate, a district attorney, um, and suddenly, <laughs> you know, top cop, and, and suddenly you want to abolish the police and you're the vice president of the United States. You know, the, the ideas don't seem to be nearly as important as the contempt for the other team. Um, so it's, it's funny because I've, I've had conversations with people recently about the like perpetual wilderness that conservatives will be in. And I've, I've kind of had similar thoughts myself, but I suppose, you know, if I look forward, it's not difficult for me to imagine a world where enough people have been turned off by the new regime and enough people have been disappointed by the new regime that they select whoever it is who happens to be representing the other side um, many moons from now. And it's a bit early to be making projections and I'm not telling you that Republicans will win in four years, but it does seem to me that the, the calculus is a bit different and the decisions that are being made here have a lot less to do with the individual or the, the sort of merit of this person um, and their character. I don't know that those are the reasons. What's that, the party look Biden like, won. Camille, in four years? Which one? The, the, Republican, the Republican party, party or the Democratic party? Repu- I have no party. idea. I don't know. Um, it is an opposition party. I mean, it's it's one of those things where Republicans have done such a good job of abandoning all of their principles during the Trump era that one can only know that they will be the not Democrats over the course of the next four years. And there will be plenty of things that they can find that they can complain about. Um, and I imagine they'll at some point decide to try to raise some opposition to COVID spending as Joe Biden has announced a, another nearly $2 trillion um, COVID relief package that's been announced. And note, that's what now two, $4 trillion in relief dollars mm-hmm. that have been allocated Almost, by the federal yeah. government. Um, and we don't even know essentially what the, the actual total is that the Fed has actually pushed into the economy by Look, its open market I, operations, et cetera. Yeah. But it's in excess of a trillion dollars, probably. I'm going to ask perhaps Matt, much more than that. I want to ask Matt this question because this is kind of your, your bailiwick is that if I look at the Republican Party, I see so many core principles of the Republican Party that have been abandoned in the past four or five years that it's almost unrecognizable. And it's not small things either, you know kind of, you know, tariff stuff, free market stuff. It's just so different than what the party, I mean, look, the party did all this stuff poorly in the past, but they just lied about it. But they at least, you know, went out and said, this is what we believe. It doesn't appear to me that the Democrats have actually changed in any huge way. Are there any kind of core party principles that the Democrats have done, like a, you know, turned on a dime on just to get elected? Because when, you know, Camille says these spending packages are absurd. Well, yeah, that's what you expect. You expect it to be. I, I didn't. Ex- you shouldn't expect that from Donald Trump to, you know, have a bailout of farmers well, that is eight times bigger than the bailout of it, the auto industry. It's not a, a, a turn on the dime on a lot of these things, but there has been um, a, a really strong kind of um, Bernieization of the party that's kind of happened under the feet of the of the Joe yeah. Biden types, right? So in his. Um, uh, COVID relief package that he was touting last week, um, you know, oh, by the way, one of the things about it is that the, 
the CDC of all things is going to continue its rent moratorium because obviously the CDC runs course. the housing market <clears throat> um, until September and also will have a $15 minimum wage, federal minimum wage. Bit of a hike. Bit of a hike. Bit of a hike. Um, uh, there was a time in the not too recent uh, or distant uh, future um, where like it was seen on uh, not just like in the Democratic Party, but among the economists that they tabbed, including the economists who first like did the work that was used to justify making a $12 minimum wage a, a, a possibility in targeted cities, not the entire country. We're like, oh, dudes, that's way too far. What are, you, what are you doing? So a lot of that stuff has just changed. In in six years, seven years, the Democratic Party has gone to being um, very curious about uh, charter schools and kind of backpack funding, not completely backpack funding, but like, you know, we need more school choice as an engine of, uh, of competition and change. Uh, Obama's first education uh, secretary, Arnie Duncan, was that, that's what his background was. Um, he knew Betsy DeVos back, you know, to, to cite a hate figure. They were they were kind mm-hmm. of were aware of each other. That's done now. Like it's mm-hmm. orthodoxy in the Democratic Party to hate charter schools, literally hate. That's what uh, Bill yeah. de Blasio said at a uh, huge um, gathering of Democratic uh, presidential candidates last year, the year before. Who knows? It's all time is a flat circle. Um, but like every Democratic candidate, for the most part, I think Biden was an exception, went there to say, oh, yeah, of course, so it was a teachers union uh, confab in Texas. Of course, charters are terrible. That's just like the opening bid. So there's a lot of stuff that used to be Democrats used to be curious about. Um, you know, Barack Obama said in two. They're never on board with that though, because I remember Joe Trippi always being like kind of an outlier on charter schools as a Democrat. Well, but and Cory Booker, but there was always there was always a, a number of that. Sure. Yeah. And you know, Obama gave lip service in that direction. A race to the top, which was an initiative that he did. Um, gave money to people who were experimenting with school. Because black constituents in particular were uh, polls they're very positive about, about charter schools. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, all three of us know from living in and near D.C. that charter schools in the district are incredibly popular, particularly among black uh, communities and poorer communities because it gives them a choice, gives them a ticket out. So, like, that's gone from being something that was pretty, you know, it wasn't the predominant Democratic thing. But, like, among people mm. who were able to get office, they talked about it and sometimes they did stuff. Like, that's done, right? There's not going to be that kind of experimentation. So it's not like a heel turn in the way that, that Trump's like, screw it. Um, you know, uh, the Bush family and regime change war is terrible. And I'm going to compete on that in South Carolina um, and win. Um, which was, you know, an, an impressive and interesting rhetorical thing that he did in, in 2016 and also trade and other things. Uh, uh, immigration, he sort of uh, – immigration, it's more that he sped up where the Republican Party was already going. Um, so uh, the on the Democratic side, it's not like they're repudiating in a like neck-snapping way. But um, a lot of people, especially political journalists, I think are a little bit um, – uh, myopic in not seeing how much of that ground has shifted under them. And I would say just to, to address the question that you guys were talking before you asked, uh, asked me that one, Michael, um, like there is an elephant in the room of the Republican party in its future, which is Donald Trump right now. Like even as we speak, right. Mitch McConnell is thinking about whether like the terms of uh, not that it's, it's up to him, but the terms of the Senate impeachment trial and you have People like Lindsey Graham saying, if McConnell votes to impeach, we got to get rid of McConnell. Like Mitch McConnell, who's been. And, and, and Kevin McCarthy walking back 
his criticism of Donald Trump and saying that he's partially responsible for what happened on the 6th of January. Already walked that back today. But the one thing I would say is that the analogous situation for Republicans would be if, I mean, when you say the kind of leftward drift, I mean, the first bit of what you said, the sort of leftward drift, the kind of AOC types of having a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a grip on the party. And, and I think a lot of the moves in the first couple of days were kind of a doff of the cap to those people and saying, just hang on, we're doing some stuff like this. Uh, but I think the, the analogous situation with Republicans would be if they went more in the Freedom Caucus way, because it's part of who they are in the DNA is a free market party. Let's the accelerationists of free mar- the free market stuff. There was like the Tom Massey's of the world took over, took over the party or something. Um, whereas with Donald Trump, it's the other direction. And that's the thing that's so odd about it is that it's a, car- a party that not only doesn't care about markets, is that it is an explicitly big government version of conservatism rather than in the past, which conservatism was a big government version of conservatism, but they lied about it. And they said, no, 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 we're going to shrink government, read my lips, you know. And, and you see and you see some of these uh, the practitioners, Josh Hawley, but also Marco Rubio. Yeah. It's like, hey, man, we got a new coalition. Yeah, the work, we're a working class party we're now. We're a working class party it's, now. It's great. We can do all this kind of stuff. So we're going to be a big government uh, party. Um, part of that is – um, people think that the wind is blowing in that direction. They do. And they're excited about that. Or they think they imagine themselves as their own next Trumps, as if there's going to be a thing that that uh, that uh, outlasts him. But here's the, the issue for the Republican Party right now is that uh, – so Trump is, is talking about – and I wrote a long piece for a reason that was published today, and we're recording this on Thursday mm-hmm. – um, about whether he's going to start a rump like a patriot, patriot party, party yeah. and like get out, which he might, he might not. I, I I tend to think that he probably won't. That he's using it as a threat right now to hold over Mitch McConnell's and other Republicans' head. Like, don't impeach me. Mm-hmm. You impeach me. This is where this is going. Rand Paul has said that if Republicans vote for impeachment, one third of the Republican Party will leave. Um, probably an overstatement, but it's you know he's the most popular person in the party by far. He's tied Dwight Eisenhower with the all time highest. Republican Party approval rating in a presidency, right? A guy who never cracked 50 of the general public, 88% was his average among Republicans. Mm-hmm. Super popular, and this is not incidental, um, and it's underplayed by people. You know, Rona McDaniel, who used to have a Romney in her name, yes, she did. Um, just won <laughs> by unanimous vote uh, re-election the RNC, uh, yeah. to head up the Republican National Committee. Um, total Trumpy. Every state party, for the most part, has a Trump loyalist. At the top, they didn't have a party platform. Remember that whole thing mm-hmm. in 2020? First time Republicans didn't have a platform. They just said, ah, uh, cut and paste the 2016. So the apparatus of the Republican Party is a Trump party right now. So good luck in like trying to impeach him, one, and, and two, trying to move on from him, which is part of that exercise. I mean, the Arizona party where I just was, and I talked to one p- person in particular who was pretty interesting on this. You know, he was he was like, well, I wouldn't write it off entirely because, you know, I asked him that the Maricopa County GOP in the midst of all this madness, in the midst of all this, um, you know, stop the steal, which they support, obviously. And, you know, this kind of breaking up of the republic, it seems, in some days and certainly a breaking up of the party, it seems, in other days, decided to to censure Cindy McCain. This is what the party is doing, right? And, you know, calling her a pillhead drug addict who, uh, you know, and, and by the way, I think you knew this. I was not aware of this, that in 2013, they censured John McCain, uh, the, the a local uh, party head, I think, in Maricopa County. 
And, you know, you see this stuff, and that is a party. I mean, look, they've lost both of their senators. Uh, just it's amazing. Flabbergasting. They lost the, the, the election in, 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 you know, to Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden. They're thinking they about lost. censuring the sitting Republican governor. Yes. Who's like doing a pretty decent job. Pretty He's decent one of the- job. And by the way, who is, who is uh, uh, Governor Ducey, right? Yeah. Who's, who's, you know, fainted towards Trumpism periodically. You know, he's not somebody who's just been a Jeff Flake kind of character out and out denouncing Trumpism. But that is a party that is being pulled apart at the seams. And you see, you know, the very conservative state. I think Mesa is the most conservative um, city in America. It used to be anyway. It was, I mean, just, you know, which is just east of, I guess, Scottsdale or something. Someone's going to email him telling him wrong about that. But, you know, it's close to Phoenix, right? And this is a party that gave us Barry Goldwater, right? Who is, you know, too too crazy for for anybody. And you know, the, all the doctors remember that the, the Goldwater rule, the doctors that came out and said Barry Goldwater shouldn't isn't fit to run yeah. the president because we've diagnosed him from afar as being mentally ill. Um, mm. You know, extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. I mean, we've gone from Carl Hess's speech, <laughs> uh, who became a new leftist, by the way, which is really it's interesting. Black Panther guy. Um, you know, to McCain version, and then to Trumpism. And then you just look this no and respond to the thing that I think that should concern Republicans is the fact that I go to Trump rallies and I go to Trump events, I go to protests and everything. And look, people died at the Capitol. You know how some of them died? Heart attacks. They're old people that don't look very good at Trump rallies. This is the people that are sustaining so much of this stuff in places like Arizona. You know, these snowbirds that come down there, the old people, you go to these things, it's all these like older people with like American, like eagle hats on and American flags and Trump is Rambo flags and the rest of it. And there are some young people there, but not a ton. And you've lost that state to the Democratic Party. If you're a Republican, you should be concerned about that, obviously. And what is the future when Donald Trump's not a young guy, right? I mean, Donald Trump lost, but Steve Bannon won. And I think that Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon won because he was pardoned, but Steve Bannon won because his entire goal is to make the Republican Party a working class party. They have succeeded. And I think one of the Mm -hmm. reasons they've succeeded is because working class politics is a lot easier. Making the case that you should get a $2,000 check as opposed to a $1,400 check is a pretty easy case to make to a, you know, a, a group of elderly people at the old folks home when you're giving your stump speech. Trying to explain how the market works and why why free trade is ultimately a good thing, and yes, people lose jobs, but you know the trickle down of this is but it's a hard case to make. You know, yeah. making the case that you should give people things, and we're the party that, that cares about you know working people, and you can make the immigration argument on the very same line that you know these people that come in depress working class wages, and that's you're going to be our party now. It's an easy thing to wake. It's not a long term winning strategy, and they're going to lose, yeah. and they're going to lose again. The uh, guy, uh, a guy to watch briefly uh, in Arizona is Andy Biggs. He's now yes. the chair of the House Freedom Caucus, which used to be a caucus that was interested in curtailing executive power um, and uh, limiting the size and scope of government. And that's all very funny in retrospect because for the last three years they've been really running interference for Donald Trump most of all. Andy Biggs, along with Paul Gosar, another Arizonan, are uh, like at the forefront of the stop the steal, not just sort of movement, but the madness of it. Mm -hmm. Like just YouTube of them. They have like self-made videos after the election of just like 
the Democrats are coming to eat your brains. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's 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 madness. And Andy Biggs was a guy who's uh, pointed to me by a lot of people, who, libertarians who work uh, in Capitol Hill at different organizations like, you know, or Thomas Massey once said to me, like, keep an eye on this guy. He's not a libertarian. But every time there's a vote and it's like 428 to 2 and it's just Massey and Amash, um, if there's a three, it's Biggs. Um, Biggs has been, since November, one of the craziest sons of bitches in American mm-hmm. politics. Like just a flipping crazy bad person. He was one of the three people who was allegedly you know, plotting with Ali Akbar, Alexander, whoever <laughs> – uh, Whatever he calls himself, uh, organizing <laughs> organizing the rally. Um, that's a sickness. That's not that's not helping. There's no long term future in that. And you can see in his writing, he has a column for Town Hall. Um, he was so stoked after the election. He's like, "This is the new coalition. This is going to be incredible." And, and they that's why they had to steal the election from us because they're so scared that we have this exciting new working class coalition. And then all the madness. Um, uh, ensues from it, but you can see in his writing that he imagines himself as having the same kind of uh, kind of connective tissue entertainment talent that Donald Trump has. Donald Trump mm. is talented. He's good at mofo it. Yeah. in ways that almost all politicians yeah. are not. Yeah. He can connect with with normal human pe- human people in a way that politicians just cannot at all. Like who can pick Andy Biggs out of a police lineup mm. or Josh Hawley? Or no one can. No one wants to. And if they did, they'd say, "My God, <laughs> that's terrible." Um, but they know Donald Trump for whatever reason, and he connects with them. He's got like that insult comedy vibe. So um, that's that madness has to resolve itself more. Something I think is forty eight percent of the Republican delegation in Congress, House and Senate combined, forty eight percent of them on January sixth, after the siege of the Capitol by the horn wearing crazy people from Arizona, by the way. Um, of course, <laughs> um, that that uh, video of his is, or the trailer about him is amazing. Um, uh, but forty eight percent voted to not certify the election after the Capitol had already been ransacked. That says to me that there is a a kind of um, a malady that needs to be worked out, and, and that's that not going to take two weeks. How many do you think actually believed it? Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> she's she's a lunatic. I mean, she is. I got, by the way, an email from her um, today, like a press secretary. This email. is a Q believing yeah. new House member from Georgia. So I got also been banned from Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, for so, yeah. Uh, for yeah. doing false flag stuff about the Parkland shooting. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really tasteful stuff. Um, any false flag about like mass shooting of children is always like that's that, that'll get you elected, and apparently it did. <laughs> um, but I got something from you know her comms people, like in the you know list. I've just you know they've put me on a list already, and I'm thinking I got that, and I was like maybe she'll talk to me. They put me on the list. You know, I didn't sign up for it, so maybe she'll talk to me because that'll be that would be a fun she one. She did her articles of impeachment today, so oh yeah, her articles. She she filed articles of impeachment. That was what the email was about against Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my what, god. What is the basis for the articles of impeachment? Who fucking knows? Yeah. <laughs> but by the way, like, hair plugs. She's one of these people, and this is the one on like these Telegram groups. It was like there's all these names for you, you know, say the Democrat Party, you know, say yeah. the Democrat. But my favorite one is the most strained one I've heard, and I've heard it frequently recently, is Demon Rats. Oh, Literally. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Demon Rats. I'm like, wait, the what? I'm like, oh, you're trying to say Democrat. Oh, I see. 
that's really pushing it. But okay, all right. The demon rats. So that's even go. worse than Rethuglicans. Like what's oh, yeah. that was yeah. a real one? <laughs> oh right, yeah. Rethuglicans. Who that, said that? That's Bushira, man. Rethuglicans. Yeah. This even makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Christ. Was that Ed? Uh, what was that guy's name who died? Ed. All uh, oh, right. Who had an MSNBC show and then he was on RT. Uh, he was the uh, uh, the the working working class yeah, guy. Yeah, working class Ed guy. Schultz. Ed Schultz. Yeah. yeah, big Ed Schultz. Yeah, I love that Bill, guy. Bill and Alfred's dad. <laughs> Andrew Schultz's brother. Um, so what else should we talk about? <laughs> well, th- there's this domestic surveillance situation, which is still uh, still a bit of a live ball. Although this week, um, some, some bold, courageous uh, women in Congress, members of the squad, uh, came out, signed a, a joint letter um, suggesting that we do not need no new domestic terrorism surveillance laws in this country. We have laws on the books. We ought to use those to prosecute people, and we shouldn't be spinning up new laws good. to go after Americans. I think that's a very good thing. I'm with him on that. Strikes me as a good call. I'm yeah. glad that there's any muscle memory at all of 9-11 and the aftermath and the overreach. Yeah, not much, but some. And actually, some, some of the squad are like twelve years old when that happened yeah, too. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm, uh, I'm kind of impressed from it. Uh, yeah, that's great uh, because, like, especially in the media, but also some Democrats as well, just like you know, we need a new nine eleven commission. Oh yeah, yeah. That's actually, it's that. a Pelosi thing, isn't it? Uh, well, I also saw um, former Republicans. <laughs> well, <laughs> like the great yeah. Max Boot. Uh, oh, boot of the beast, um, Max Boot, uh, who wants who, the FCC to kick Fox News off the air? Yes, yeah. To which no, uh, journalists, journalists advocating for censorship is totally uh, in vogue right now. It is very it's, exciting. Stuff. It is crazy. I mean, we, uh, you guys, passed around the uh, the uh, the Morning Joe clip, <laughs> and, and and like words can't convey it. Like you got to watch it it's because amazing. it's it's Mika Brzezinski saying Facebook. You destroyed democracy. Yeah. You need to be shut down. So over the top. Shame on so you. Insane. And that's like a literal quote. That's like verbatim. Yeah, shame, like shame on you. You No, you destroyed democracy here and abroad. Here and abroad, she actually, yeah. She mm-hmm. actually, there's no democracy left in Uzbekistan, the world. Uzbekistan, boom, done. Because my mother periodically Belgium? posts like pictures of her daughter on Facebook, her granddaughter um, on Facebook. A moment ago, it was mentioned that... Uh, that Pelosi um, had been talking about a, a new 9-11 style commission to yes. figure out um, and, and specifically to figure out Trump's involvement with Putin potentially related to the events at the Capitol. The person she was in, dis- in conversation with, you might be surprised to learn um, or probably not, is Hillary Clinton. Hillary oh, she Clinton. Had a, she had a good quote about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Speaker Pelosi were talking actively and openly uh, about this conspiracy theory, which is fair to call it that because there is no evidence to support it, um, that perhaps Donald Trump was on the phone with Vladimir Putin during the attack. Mm-hmm. Maybe and, and getting we need to look job. into this. Yes. I'm just asking questions. And it was a Carol, um, Carol Maloney, uh, the, the Democratic uh, rep from New York, who um, didn't she table a bill that was something similar was to invest, investigate. Oh, because she pointed out, oh, it was Parler. She wants to figure out if Parler is a Russian uh, front. And in this uh, bit of legislation or this whatever it was, I think it was a bit of legislation, uh, it, it mentioned that the CEO of Parler's wife is Russian. In like case Holy closed. cow, that is some serious McCarthyite bullshit right there. I mean, 
it, well, because now they're using this uh, service in Russia. It's like, well, <laughs> they've been kicked off of a number of services in America, and I have no uh, sort of interest in parlor in any way, but I don't think that we should just shut them out entirely from, from America's internet. And it's a DDoS, a, a, a distributed denial of service attack protection, which is what Cloudflare does in America, a Russian version of this. And they're like, all the traffic is now being routed through Russia. Your traffic is going to Russia. It gets if you like are. Putin <laughs> and I'm like, you know, all the parlor stuff, first of all, is public if you download the fucking app. Number two, it takes two seconds for anybody to hack that shit and like release all the DMs online anyway. You don't need the FSB for this shit. But the incredible thing about it is that when I say a joke about McCarthyism, I was in the airport um, and I looked at my bag and I had lost my Kindle. I left it on a plane and I'm like, fuck, I've got all these books that I'm reading on there. So I have to amble over to the fucking Hudson News in which, you know, I need to read something. I'm going to buy a book. There's no good books there. I end up buying a a schlocky John Meacham book. It was like the only mm. political book. I was fine. I was going to read it. And there's a few things I looked at in, in it and I was like, oh, I want to see what he says about that. So Meacham writes this book about, you know, how American democracy um, you know, but, but it persisted kind of thing. And it was like the end of the Trump era. It's like the book is already, when I was reading on the plane, Joe Biden was actually being inaugurated and it. Like it, it went stale in my hands. And so I'm reading it and there's a chapter about how we got through McCarthyism, which, um, it's not a good chapter. And if anyone has read, uh, there's a lot of good books about McCarthy. David Ashinsky's book is good. A very critical book. A sort of weird, um, um, a book is, uh, what Herman, that guy's name is a kind of a, uh, Arthur Herman, I think, uh, wrote a book about McCarthy too, which is more of a kind of nuanced taking it. But here's the thing about this that you'll always see when you, when you read this stuff. The people that McCarthy flagged initially were actually commies. There was a bunch of these people that were actually sympathetic to the Soviet Union. What McCarthy did, what McCarthy said, how he conducted himself is an embarrassment to him, an embarrassment to the nation. He should have been shut down. The Army McCarthy hearings were a great you know, rebuke to him, the Murrow broadcast, which I think is a little over overstated. But, you know, there was something there. There was actually something there. And this is the same thing that you can say now about the current kind of version of this. Like, oh, it's not the same as McCarthyism. Well, it isn't the same in the sense that there was a little bit of smoke. Um, you know, Eli Lake, a guest on the show, um, listener to the show, came on our Zoom, uh, wrote a piece for a very long piece, which I finally got to read, which is very good, for commentary, but it was, I can't remember the name, it was like guilty but innocent kind of thing. Guilty and framed. Yeah. Donald Trump is both guilty and framed in the, in the Russia investigation. And now we're on the other end. We're at the time of the Army McCarthy hearings when McCarthy goes totally bonkers and is just, you know, basically being Robert Welch from the John Birch Society and everybody from Eisenhower down is a, is a red. And that is, we're in that phase right now where Hillary Clinton is saying this, uh, Representative Maloney is saying this man has a Russian wife. We have to put taxpayer dollars to use investigating this man because the evidence is he uh, did this app that attracts people in the far right and his wife is from Russia and he's traveled to Russia. It's like, I'm sorry, but actually McCarthy had more evidence than that. <laughs> he had actually more substantial evidence than that. You know, Stan Evans wrote a book about this, a defense of Justin McCarthy, which I reviewed for a reason and gave a very negative review to. But he actually goes through some of this evidence. And my point about that, as I recall, was that, yeah, no, it's there, but it doesn't justify anything that he did. 
Um, but there is a little scintilla of evidence and this exact same thing. So I think the parallels here, so so many bad historical parallels these days. The parallel here is actually the correct one. It is actually right that we've gone from something that was interesting, worrying, as we talked about in this show in the very beginnings of the Donald Trump administration, and became less convincing and then became an actual mania that overwhelmed people. And it was became a mass delusion. And to see the fact that now Donald Trump has gone, the delusion remains. I mean, Hillary Clinton, recall, said, you know, don't ever accept a Donald Trump victory. Uh-huh. Um, that's yeah, a pretty never, crazy thing to do say. Do not concede. Do not concede. Don't she, concede. She also stay in the said, fight and you'll eventually get the, uh, get the outcome you want. She also said about a year and a half ago, if memory serves, she was talking about uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, yes. And mm-hmm. said that basically, well, you know, she's probably a Russian agent or she's on the payroll. Right. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's likely that, you know, she'll go to the Greens because that's what the Russians did last time is that they, you know, they Just, in, yeah. infiltrated the Greens. And uh, as I wrote and probably talked about on this podcast. Great job with the infiltration like, of the Greens. Jill Stein was, did they infiltrate it in 2012 then? Because she also ran in 2012, right? You know, and, and uh, like it, it, none of it makes sense. And nor was it even a halfway clever um, way of even understanding third party dynamics. Do you think that, that Tulsi Gabbard could like waltz into the Green Party or waltz into the Libertarian Party and get the nomination. And both those things were like live in in Hillary Clinton's mind and that it would be a Russian play. Like it doesn't make sense. And this was widely um, uh, reported on in a positive way. Like, yeah, you know, she's really ripping the lid off the <laughs> off the Tulsi. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard is weird enough. OK, she doesn't need an extra layer of Didn't like threatened to sue Hillary Clinton. Uh, she did, I think, and I think it was eventually thrown out, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, um, because thankfully we can't sue people so easily. But um, yeah, like you Some, can, someone needs to open up the libel laws. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out, man. Yeah, it didn't open so many, up. So many broken promises. Yeah, Mexico will pay for the wall. It'll be a be- big, beautiful wall. Mexico will pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that somebody should be sued for that. Um, <laughs> Well, um, yeah, everything well, I, is terrible. So yeah. what do we talk about now beyond the fact that there's a new administration and everything sucks? Is there anything they've done there's that a, is, has been it, They've done a bunch of stuff, right? Well, they've, they've unleashed a, a slew of executive orders, effectively reversing a bunch of executive orders from the mm-hmm. Trump administration. I guess the Trump administration had just released its 1776 project, which I didn't look at at all. I mean, it I'm was so bad, dude. So bad. About this just thing. like read a, read a single I paragraph. Know anything about it. it nothing. It's I literally like know nothing except Stephen the, Miller pooped on uh, a legal pad. <laughs> yeah. And then a kid drew on it with a stick. I think then, I am yeah. actually fairly fairly convinced that Melania wrote it. That's her last thing. Yeah. I want to talk to about the seventeen seventy six. No, if Melania wrote it, it'd be good. Oh, be there hot. was it it'd was be... bad with the slavery places, but we don't do that no more. Don't teach that this bad that thing. But no, it's yeah, so, it, like I tried so to read it. it was like so that dumb. immediately disappeared from the internet. Why? So you can't why look at the, that anymore? You know what? This is the thing about about conservatives on this sense is that. You know, we've talked about, you know, this, the, you know, 1619 project and, you know, Camille's been pretty vocal about uh, Nicole, Hannah Jones and the rest of it. But why is it the government's business to be writing um, reports uh, rebuking the New York Times' reports? <laughs> I mean, not. like, what the fuck are you doing? It's not. Like, we should have stopped for a second and be like, I didn't even know that was happening. But when I saw that, I was like, wait, what? 
And like they took it down already. I'm like, oh, I know that's a huge disaster for, for, you know, historical memory. Mm. The thing that uh, Biden has done um, that has initially troubled me, and I haven't uh, gotten into the language of the executive order, but they've made clear in almost every single public uh, speech, anytime Kamala Harris talks, um, it was in the inaugural address as well. Um, it's clear that they're going to include as a measurement in uh, regulation and in plenty of other things, notions of equity, of yes, of racial justice, racial justice of combating. I mean, Michael was talking earlier about like the sort of the conundrum of calling for unity while you're also saying that, oh, and the other party is full of lying white supremacists. Um, well, just white people is bad enough. I mean, <laughs> being redundant. Uh, <laughs> but like they're going to uh, actually uh, measure policy that way. And this is, in, of course, in the same, you know, uh, paragraph that they're talking about. Now, thankfully, we're re- returning to a party or a government that is um, paying attention to science. Um, yeah. And I would <laughs> – Cautionary tale there. I mean, look at the way that California has dealt with COVID response. Science. They did it a science way. It was super sciencey, <laughs> and one of the science ways that they did it. Very science. Uh, I forget whether this was Garcetti or Newsom because they look mm. you know, mm. too much alike. Um, but uh, we will only reopen X, and I think X is schools in this case, once we know that all of the uh, – Schools or places that are predominantly people of color also have X number of whatevers to make it to make it work out. And so basically they're holding hostage because they were taking that extra equity focus. Was this uh, vaccines? No, this is I think it's no, reopening no, this schools. Is just sort of like reopening. Okay. They, they weren't, weren't saying schools. that like we it was were like, it wasn't just schools. Yeah. It wasn't just schools. It'd be like a whole county. Yeah. Like if in a county, a particular region that is predominantly minority is like over indexing for COVID cases, even if the average is lower across the county average, that's not enough that we have to improve the outcomes for that particular county or everyone else suffers. It's like the kid who's acting up in class. And as a result of it, like nobody gets to go out for recess, except it's your job and everything else that's involved. Because racial equity, that's, Harrison Bergeron. That doesn't strike me as sciency, and it doesn't. No, it's not. Me sci- it's as, not sciency as unity. Um, I also wonder if it's constitutional. So uh, <laughs> those fights are gonna going to happen, but they're going to be everywhere. It seems. I mean, I've I've been um, well maybe, surprised right? by by how much uh, that that rhetoric has been in, in like literally every public yeah. appearance and speech and, and action. But that's just it. I mean, one wonders if this isn't like the next jobs created or saved like thing, right? Like they just keep saying this garbage over and over again. Does that mean they'll actually do something? Will they actually deliver? Will I, it be any more than a rhetorical trope? Like no, Joe Biden talking the- about ending white supremacy from during his inauguration, as I understand happened, because you know I read yeah. about it. They get rid sure, of vaping. Sure as shit didn't <laughs> yeah, watch I think it. this is next. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, honestly, like Joe Biden. Like five decades in public service. He's going to get corn the pop last, on it. The last 10 of them he spent with, with Barack Obama. <laughs> now is the time he's going to defeat white supremacy in America? But like, Barack are you Obama kidding me? was a white supremacist. I mean, that's why the Barack Obama was holding him back. That's presenting the, him. That's yeah. the thing. I white mean, supremacy in this country. The it rhetoric, is, the rhetoric is ridiculous Who and absurd. 
We can't. Who can believe this? However, when you embed it in the language of executive orders, if you say that this is going to be like uh, intertwined with, you know, the Office of Science and Policy or whatever it was, they've elevated a cabinet mm-hmm. level position. Um, when you say that it's going to be about COVID response and um, that it's going to be uh, part of the the checklist on regulatory frameworks, it's gonna like it's actually going to become a bureaucratic thing. It's going to yeah. be more than just a rhetorical nod. And I have seen know that the training is back on as well. Yeah, the training is back on, or got at least rid of like that ban bait. right away. Yeah, you know. I mean, you know what the headline from the first day in Joe Biden's uh, administration is, and it's an honest headline too. You sh- somebody should have written this headline. Day one, Biden administration loses ten thousand jobs. We lost ten thousand jobs in the first day with the Keystone Pipeline. Is mm. it, it, literally ten thousand jobs that were ready to go, and the Canadian government, including Justin Trudeau, is like, "What the fuck are you doing? We've been doing this for ages. Oil's not staying in the fucking ground. It's just the pipeline." And did you hear what uh, Booty Judge's uh, response to that was? What did Booty say? He said, uh, "Well, the uh, uh, questioning by Ted Cruz uh, said, uh, well, they're going to need to uh, get better jobs.'" Oh yeah, that's that's true. Because um, huh. you know, in, in, where have in, I heard the, that? Before? This is about the environment, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you think the oil is now going to get to the Gulf of Mexico? Um, in trucks? Trucks. Yeah, are, are trucks better <laughs> or worse than a pipeline? How much well, CO2 isn't there is aspiration that it won't out? get there? Isn't that what they hope? Yes, yeah, that's not going to happen though. Which will drive up the cost. That's what they want. It, exactly, but it's not. I mean, constrained supply drive up the cost. Punish punish people earth. who decide to drive anywhere. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Joe Biden was was beaten up on stage during the primaries uh, uh, and was was beaten up in general about fracking and said to, you know, because he's Scranton Joe saying we're not going to do anything about fracking. We're not going to touch fracking. That'd be very bad for American jobs, et cetera. So fracking is going to remain um, a pipeline coming from Alberta uh, delivering oil to the Gulf of Mexico is now um, dead on arrival. So thank you, Joe Biden, for that. That's ten thousand jobs down. So we're starting at negative ten thousand. Where do we go from here? Do I got a do I got a five thousand? Do I got a six thousand? I mean, for anyone who's been to New Mexico, who's been to the Dakotas um, during the last five to eight years, during which you know finally for the first time in American history they actually fulfilled the State of the Union address promise that every single president did of energy independence. Like mm-hmm. we don't import oil from Saudi Arabia anymore. Yeah. Like. Pause on that. Like what? Um, it's fracking, dude. Yeah. And that also brought uh, carbon uh, emissions way down too. Um, and so let's go against that. I want to read. Uh, well, that's, by the way, as you find that thing that you're going to read, that's the, the Paris rejo- rejoining the Paris Accords is, you know, of course, entirely voluntary. And we all know the, the stipulations there. It's not, you know, it never hit the Senate. It wasn't ratified as a treaty. Um, but America's been hitting those targets, I think. Yep. And that's without that. I mean, that. having no production in your economy allows you to do that, but Either we've way. also we've also been hitting the targets. Yeah. I saw, uh, uh, again, on, I think it was on CNN today, um, talking about, you know, the early uh, Biden moves and rejoining the, uh, the, the Paris Accords, and they literally said, again, a correspondent said, well, now that we have an administration – that believes that global warming is uh, it, happening, mm-hmm. that's why they've done it. Like, that's just like, because of this, then that. There isn't ever like, you know, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Are there trade-offs involved? Is it, does it make sense? It's like, no, now we believe in global warming, and so therefore we did this. That's the extent of the logic and analysis. I want to read this uh, text from Nancy Rahman, who's coming in and out of the room on occasion and uh, bringing drinks. It's very great. Uh, saying... 
fifth fan, because she was uh, uh, doing some uh, photography in here. Fifth fan saw Camille laptop balancing on chair. Michael and I are in our nascent studios, which is looking pretty damn pretty smart. We got, pretty, the, we got the dorm fridge. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, we yeah. got a bunch of stuff in here. It's pretty great. Um, some nice uh, velvety curtains. Um, but uh, so we're sitting around this table and Camille is in uh, Tribericon uh, and he, we're looking yeah. at him on a laptop that's balancing precariously on one of our little black office chairs. It's literally, it's going to fall. It's going to fall. It looks uh, like, like it's, a, it's good, like a taco. It's, it's going to collapse. literally balancing on the top of a very small chair. So fifth fan saw Camille laptop balancing on chair and Venmoed me $75 to buy a side table. We're making Nancy money at this point. We're finally like making Nancy yeah. some, some scratch. She here. texted you that and now she's out at the bar. Wait, how did they how did they see this? How did that happen? Because she uh she's she's uh, put this on the internet or I don't know what the you know the newfangled know, the Instagram and stuff like that. Twitter, oh Instagram, gosh. all those things. You see a lot of yeah. stuff out there uh, out there, Camille. Come on, get get with the program. Oh my goodness. We're gonna have the uh, Camille table. No, we're gonna mount a proper monitor here. And you're going to be larger than the rest of the room. Yeah. Camille. One you're going to be it's just, Oz. It's just one thing at a time, you know. Because <laughs> I would have bought one, but I was in Arizona. But by the way, I just want to say that the people, um, our, our um, Patreon thing, this is the thing about the Patreon. This is why you should subscribe. Because it's incredible and we do all this extra content. But, you know, then you can send us uh, messages and you don't have to be like these people on Twitter that shouted us. And I don't read it until Matt sends me a fucking link about it. And then I'm like in the airport. So I click on it and I'm reading this and I'm like, why are you sending me this shit? Yeah. I don't know. The guy said he wanted to slap me. And I looked at his profile and he was like, he, he literally looked like in, like an obese Anton LaVey. I'm like, I, Who is this? <laughs> I was like, okay, buddy, you're like 75 years old. You're going to slap. Good. Good for you. Uh, I went back to see who that person was and his, his uh, account had been banned by the way. Um, and it was not me. I didn't, I don't, I don't report people like that. But anyway, so I was, um, I was in uh, uh, Arizona and I got all these people who sent messages and said, Hey, I'm in Phoenix. Cause I had mentioned the Patreon where I was and, uh, and uh, hit me up for a drink. If you want to, I was uh, incredibly busy and I apologize for not doing so, but I had a, had a lovely time in your city. A lot of homeless people there, by the way, it's, it's really whole, a lot. Whole country, really. It's a lot in that city. Yeah. Uh, I was staying in downtown Phoenix, and I was like, "How? why does everyone like have a duvet around them? <laughs> it's kind of warm here. And there's a guy with a duvet, and then they put it down, and then my producer was like, oh, I was here shooting something. Um, I swear to God, I was shooting something here six months ago. I recognized that guy, but last time he was naked. And I was like, mm. well, you know, it was June when you were here before. So Phoenix had a good time. Restaurants were open. I was in restaurants. I went to a bar. I was in a bar. It was incredible. I know that Arizona is like the big hotspot of COVID, but you know, it was the bars were open and the restaurants were open and I had uh, good food. What's and, a little, uh, good what's a little COVID? Phoenix yeah. is a, a top five, I think, uh, destination for post COVID uh, fifth column roadshow. Oh yeah, we um, should do that. There. Know yeah. a ton of people. Bill Wyman, the non uh, non Rolling Stone, Rolling, Bill Wyman. he lives out there. Does he? Yeah, he does. When we were out there, oh, uh, we had a reason weekend out there and uh, saw uh, Mike Lacey, you know, of uh, Backpage and New Times. Uh, you know, the criminal pornographer. Yes, yes. Uh, but he's a great guy. We interviewed him and we had a drink with him at a great dive bar. Uh, and uh, and Bill Wyman, Nick uh, Gillespie, and I uh, uh, had lunch with him. And great dude. But like a lot of fifth listeners. Phoenix is great. It's like a crazy place. The the politics there, you know, uh, those of you who are listening who are from Phoenix and who 
you know, thought that me and Michael were just being all like all the conservatives in Phoenix are crazy. It's true. You know, it's true <laughs> in Arizona, but they're also super fun. And I know them yeah. all because I worked on the McCain yeah. book and they hated McCain forever. And, uh, really sweet people individually and i have a lot of affection for them so maybe we can get joe sheriff joe arpaio to do mm. to, to, to a fifth column live we should event. just go on the, the and it's like he's like gg allen and he just dies on stage let's just go to <laughs> oh, the mccain family ranch and half the family would hate us and half the family yeah. would like us it'd be fun i think there's yeah there's, i don't know if it's half anymore but continue <laughs> <laughs> i think it's now three quarters oh no oh gosh um continue with what question i don't know what are we talking about now camille i mean what else is going on i mean this it's like i love the fact that like I, some, some did, new immigration action did happening. we bottom out on the first day of a new administration <laughs> <laughs> no i mean you know what we're not recording on our regular day i've got to be in in la tomorrow got a very early flight out you stay in the night um, there uh, I I will because where they put we'll finish up? in the evenings. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, not supposed to say. I didn't even pay loud. attention. Ooh, it's really good. Oh yeah, you got to beat that out, my man. What? Why? You can't tell where it. Like, you think motherfuckers are, are gonna show up where you're? I don't know. Are you but kidding? Matt, you said you're not. Yeah, yeah no, 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 I didn't say it. You did. No. All right, I'll beep it up. But I just, I mean, it's not like you're on with Eddie Murphy or something. Yeah, it's you like, got to beep it out. It's like people Can't are going to be, him. all right, I'll beep it out. Okay. Yeah, but enjoy that. Uh, with Eddie Murphy? Enjoy that. Uh, enjoy that uh, Courtyard that bar, Marriott that, that you're staying at. The bar credit at the Courtyard Marriott yeah, is particularly good. Yeah. The rooftop pool yeah, at the at Courtyard, courtyard Marriott, Marriott yeah. there in yeah, Beverly in Hills. El Segundo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I left my hotel in El Segundo. Pretty nice setup. Uh, uh, what are your topics, Camille? Yeah. Yeah. I can't talk about the topics that we're going to discuss yeah, yeah. on the show that hasn't aired yet. Yeah, all right. Fine. Yeah. All right. Um, is there a message but, you want to give to the listeners? First time uh, listeners of the fifth column who came here because they saw how brilliant you were going on Bill Maher and explaining why you're not black. Oh my God, you get so much hate I, I mean, I, one, I don't suspect that will come up. Um, and if it does, that will be, it'll be a very interesting program. Um, to no, I mean, are you kidding me? It, it's the fifth column. Are you stupid? Are you, <laughs> you just got here <laughs> and you just, you just got here. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with did, you? Did you come here? Uh, you new listener. I can, I can see you. I know who you are. I hear you. Listen, you go, you're you, adjusting your headphones right now in your ears. Did you just come here? New listener. Because Q didn't show up on, on <laughs> uh, election day or an inauguration day. And you're like, I need a new direction. If so. You have come to the right place. Absolutely. Yeah, because Q is, is, uh, is Camille. <laughs> exactly. By the way, why is, is Camille? Is there any legal <laughs> ramifications to this? Um, you know, if at the end of the day, wouldn't somebody at this point just be like, dude, I've been fucking with you for so long. It's me. And get like at a book deal. And like, why is the person who has been pretending to be Q not come out and just said, all right, it was it was a bit of a setup because the gig is up and, because it is Sakatoshi Nakamura. Oh yeah, everything. so the guy who's <laughs> Q is also the man who invented Bitcoin. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. You heard it here first, new <laughs> listeners. They're like, Jesus, what a piece of shit podcast this is. <laughs> <laughs> and you referred to him as uh, Sakahashi Nakamura. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. only the facts here. Yeah, it was like the, the second baseman for the uh, the the Nippon Ham Fighters. <laughs> Um, you know no, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff coming. We'll, we'll, we'll all find out very soon. I, I, I was saying that the Biden administration does appear to have been done some, some good things on immigration, um, early on. And it yeah. is interesting how, how quickly, I mean, just these, 
unilateral executive order kind of deals just get completely reversed as soon as the administration changes hands, leaving one wondering what accomplishments, what durable accomplishments from a policy standpoint does the Trump administration have that are likely to survive a Biden administration? Well, I will say that the first thing is that, yeah, I mean, the Muslim ban uh, stuff, which of course went through a number of court challenges and changes and the rest of it is now gone, uh, which is a very good thing. Uh, never made any sense whatsoever. And it was exactly what uh, it was said to be, which is a Muslim ban. But of course, they like, did, it was like the axis of evil. evil. They like threw like North Korea in there too. It's like, that's not a Muslim ban. We threw it in North Korea. You, you can't come from North Korea either. But that is gone. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the positive, positive things. I mean, look, there's a lot of Trump stuff that is, is very easy to reverse almost immediately. And those, I don't like the fact that we no longer, we don't even have conversations about, not even the sort of flimsiest, you know, conversation about the prevalence and, of executive orders and the reliance upon them the first day you're in office. It's like a back and forth ping pong match of executive orders because ex- executive power has grown in a way that this is just de rigueur. This is standard. It's always been that way in a certain sense, but, I, you know, George W. Bush, I think, is really the explosive growth of them after 9-11. And then, of course, Barack Obama doubles down, maybe triples down on them. And this is just where we are now. And it's incredible that we don't even have conversations about, I mean, I'm happy about some of the stuff that's been reversed, but the manner in which it's done is just like, okay, this is what we expect. is going to be a lot of executive orders uh, forever. And it's not going anywhere. And I would love to see, you know, Nancy Pelosi, um, and I'm trying not to laugh when I say that out loud, um, <laughs> say that, you know what, we need to have a legislative role in government too. Um, it's just not going to happen, right? They don't offer amendments in the floor anymore, as Justin Amash has reminded us time and time again. They still legislate by last-minute omnibus, throw everything in the thing, up-and-down vote. Um, that's why we are governed by executive order and regulatory agencies much more than we are by Congress like that's going to take a whole big heave and it wasn't part of the political and campaigning conversation at all. Um, and there's no reason to expect that that's going to change in terms of operating procedure right now, especially because um, since Democrats have majorities, you know, why should you have a process? They'll just cram what they can, um, you know, and we'll all be like looking at what Joe Manchin wants to do. <laughs> well, I think the thing that's scary, and we've talked about this so much in the show, so I th- expect we'll be revisiting this, and we've had as a previous guest, and I've interviewed uh, for the HBO show and television, uh, Ajit Pai, the former FCC, now former FCC commissioner who resigned the other day, um, and what will happen with net neutrality, of course, uh, and things like that. Of course, net neutrality, was the, the sky was falling, and what happened in the past uh Three years was, you know, um, mm-hmm. Verizon kicking people off the Internet, charging them exorbitant amounts for it. it. It didn't happen. And there are people that try to make the case that these small examples that it did, that is not so. But I will worry about one thing and worry about it quite loudly. And I expect we'll come back to this is that there is an understanding now amongst everybody in the chattering classes, the bien pensant opinion now is that people only come to bad ideas through bad technology or through good technology that is misused. So the number of people now that are saying things like, well, you know, Facebook 
really, I mean, look at the, the I posted on Twitter, the Joe uh, and Mika thing, which was demented. It was absolutely bananas saying that, you know, they've ruined democracy, et cetera. Now, as we said of Representative Maloney saying, parlor, we have to get parlor, et cetera. And it, it, the, all the evidence we see now is that this stuff, if it was organized as it was organized, was done on Facebook. Facebook is not in the crosshairs in that way because they're doing the job that they're supposed to be doing by banning people, kicking people off, et cetera. They're, well, they're doing okay, so we're not going to attack them. But this new normal that platforms, it's not even a Section 230 thing, that'll come up too, but the new normal is that platforms create chaos and people only come to bad ideas, quote-unquote bad ideas, a lot of them actually are bad, but some of them will we'll see what actually becomes a bad idea in the future, only come to these bad ideas because they're exposed to them. We can't allow people to be exposed to them. And what happens then, of course, is you go from Twitter to Facebook to, you know, Parler to Gab to Telegram, and it doesn't ever end because you can't kill these stupid ideas with legislation and with court cases. And I expect over the next four years, you're going to have this kind of now common idea, which nobody is arguing. This is where we need the ACLU, which is where we need groups that actually defend free speech. And not just because this isn't so much a free speech First Amendment issue, because this is not, you know, the government's not, you know, adjudicating these things. But yeah. that's not the point. The government can be doing this soon. And then the actual, I really hate this shit. And I see people that we know, you know, allies of ours, friends of ours, saying something very similar. Oh, you know, they're whining about free speech because of parlor. I'm not whining about a First Amendment issue. Never have. I'm not a dummy. But the one thing I do worry about is the fact that all of this is going in that direction, that it is being established as sort of, you know, who dare question this, that these things need to either be stamped out, banned, blocked, regulated. And once we do that, the... What the fuck is that? Uh, uh, once we do that, all the bad ideas will go away. I mean, one one of the things that we know for sure is that we are expecting, um, at least the, the Biden administration is signal, indicating very... Uh, strenuously that, you know, there's a new sheriff in town and we're going to regulate the hell out of the the, the tech companies. Um, but I mean, the, there's a real possibility here. And I think anyone who is sort of has a pulse and knows anything about policy is probably aware of this, that the tech companies end up with a regulatory circumstance that's generally beneficial for the incumbents, mm-hmm. for the particularly big companies who yep. will almost certainly have a hand in helping to craft these pieces of legislation who already are beginning to sort of pivot given the way that the winds have changed in, in DC and the Democrats are, are clearly ascendant at the moment, not even ascendant. They are in control of um, everything. Yeah. You, you pivot and you start to work with them. And Mark Zuckerberg has been saying in congressional hearings for n- nearly the entirety of the last four years, please regulate us. We need more regulation. Mm-hmm. Please mm-hmm. throw me in the briar patch. Um, and, I think that the end result of all of that is a situation that's better for them and it's worse for their incumbents in some respects. And at a minimum, it's better for them if they're not being sort of harassed and harangued in quite the same way that they were before. And it is very difficult for anyone to say um, that the actions that Facebook has taken uh, with respect to kicking particular bad actors off of their platform aren't in some way motivated by politics 
um, there's at a minimum the the perception that it might be because it's not as though there hadn't been some explicit direction given mm-hmm. by someone who's now the vice president of the United States saying yep. that, hey, a certain guy ought to be removed from your platform. Um, you know, it's, I mean, look, the fragmentation the dynamics are challenging. I mean, this is if we care about and we all pretend to care about this and I keep, you know, coming back to this, we care about this sort of political fragmentation that's happening in this country, the polarization, what do you want to call it? And we, we talk out of both sides of our mouth on this in, in, you know, what will happen legislatively and, and, and in a regulatory way with Facebook is interesting. And as you say, Mark Zuckerberg has been more or less begging for this for a long time, particularly when he comes in front of Congress and the number of times that he has. So there's nothing surprising there. And I expect that that's going to be bad, but just sort of in a general broader philosophical sense, there is a big shift, not amongst sort of ordinary people, but amongst people who, you know, are in the media, particularly younger people, that the the control of this speech is necessary. And you have to keep pushing it off platforms because older people, it's always older people. It's always like your grandfather has been, has been, you know, hypnotized by Fox News, is that if you, if they come in contact with this stuff, they may believe it. So we have to squash it. And that is an interesting place to be. It's a depressing place to be because it really ends this idea of debating bad ideas. It's all about now destroying bad ideas and preventing them from being aired in the first place. Because as we know, over the years, bad ideas that when we try to strangle them in the crib, just go away, right? This is, <laughs> this is the drug war of speech. Let's just ban this stuff, get rid of it. It yeah. just went away. Nobody, everyone stopped doing drugs and it's just a great place to be now. You know, this is... Madness and the madness is now being, you know, defended. It's, it's being defended by the people you'd expect to defend it, but I think the people that would be nominally allies of, you know, us three with disparate politics, but it's sort of general core principles that we agree on, the people that I would expect to agree with us are now so overwhelmed by stupid incidental Twitter politics of who they want to be associated with and who they want to be allied with that they laugh at this stuff and say, oh, you know, you're just talking about whatever, cancel culture. And you're just talking about like, oh, now you want a, a private corporation to, you know, you know, rule on things the way you want. No, no, no. I, I'm talking about the general sort of feeling in the air about this stuff, the way I see it going. And I'm not an alarmist about this stuff. I've been watching it go this way for, for a long time. And the number of people that I once had respect for, and I've lost a lot of respect for a lot of people in the past, probably past year um, who pretend to be interested in free speech and then don't care about this stuff because it's fucking Milo because it's a private company. Who cares? It's like, yeah, I agree with you. Milo sucks and private companies can do whatever the hell they want. But don't you see that the general principle of all of this is wrong? The general principle being that the speech has to be suppressed rather than debated. And that is a bad place to be. There's a, um, uh, a freedom of association argument that they will make. And they're right on the, uh, the, the technicality of it, right? Like we all in our personal lives or even let, let's say in the way that we individually deal on our own Twitter feeds, right? We engage in freedom of association. I follow these people. I don't follow these people or I unfollow them when they put a bunch of crap in my feed. Uh, I mute people or I mute conversations, whatever. It's, this is association. It should be free for us to choose. That is correct. Um, however, 
when you witness and see on a daily basis a bunch of people who are in the free speech business, who are in journalism, <laughs> right, um, who are recommending um, uh, and like even calling their followers to please, as you know, Mother Jones, uh, Clara Jeffrey, the editor in chief, said, you know, call up your local uh, cable provider and tell them to take Fox News off your package. Fox News. Max Boot, you know, like let's sick the FCC as if they have any say in it uh, and uh, to uh, to like uh, get rid of the license of, uh, of Fox and, News. And Max Boot, by the way, who spent the past four years um, being, you know, angry or skeptical and then angry about the authoritarian instinct of the presidency. Yeah. I understand that skepticism. You don't want an authoritarian instinct, but then you want the FCC to be sicked on a television company because you think they put out poisonous views. I've been looking at the history. Fine. Of- I don't, it's fine. I mean, it, 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 one question I want to ask you and like you looking at the history is, is the thing, this is the thing that I think is, is, is crazy. People get really exercised, but like, but they lied and they had people on their station that lied about, you know, the stop the steal that the election was stolen. That is, it's not true that the election was stolen. Correct. And people, as a result, stormed the Capitol. They are complicit. And this stuff cannot be. It's the television equivalent of shouting fire in a crowded theater. Matt Welch, what say you? Well, aside from the original metaphor is all bad for reasons you can Google. (laughs) Um, Then tell them that they suck when they do that, which we do here and everybody does everywhere. Um, And they should. Um, But that doesn't mean you revoke their license and tell them that you know, you can't, you can't broadcast and you can't spread these messages. That doesn't work. I mean, get out there and criticize them in real time, hopefully even on their own programs, which uh, some of us have done, like with Maria Bartiromo, who is a big Stop the Steal person. I was on her show uh, a few times. Thankfully, didn't talk about it too much, but like uh, things uh, came up as well. For me, the problem is that back in the – Previous iterations of of kind of uh, big deep thinkers about journalism and the role of the intellectual in the public sphere, there was always a baseline of, hey, look, if in America in particular, if we're going to create a culture of self governance where we use journalism as a tool to make ourselves better, uh, in in and all of that, we need to make the public square bigger, not smaller, right? Um, even if those people who were making the same arguments were appalled by the mass media, appalled by tabloid values and sensationalism and the way that people are profiteering off um, uh, appealing to base values in people, which is perennial. It's always been with us. Um, they would still say it's important to have um, – uh, a broad population engaging with one another in a public square that has gone away. That's not any longer a value that is widely shared among people who work in journalism. That's different. That Mm -hmm. didn't, that's not how I would describe the state of play 15 years ago. It is absolutely the state of play the day after the day after impeachment, the second impeachment of Donald Trump. What was the journalistic class chattering about? You've already forgotten it because we've already forgotten Nashville impeachment <laughs> and a bunch of other things. But what they what they were talking about was 
that Ben Shapiro guest edited a fucking newsletter at yeah. Politico people in DC for one read. fucking day. Yeah. Nobody cares. I had never read that newsletter even mm-hmm. once, I don't think. I hope not. <laughs> ben Shapiro is a conservative. Um, he is occasionally like a culture war bomb throwing conservative. Sometimes he's more thoughtful, whatever. But like people were like, I can't, you, you've completely destroyed our platform. I can't, we've worked so hard to build up credibility and you let him guest edit a newsletter, an email newsletter for one day. How could you? They had an all hands on fucking deck. They had 225 employees of political. And first of all, that's more than work for any fucking newspaper in the continent of Europe. I can fucking guarantee you. Seriously, there's not 225 journalists who work for any newspaper, and they work for Politico, which hopefully most of you listening have never read in your life. Because why would you? Although they have some good stuff, but like Jack that's <laughs> that, that Jack Schaefer and also Tim Alberta, who's done some great great things. But like that energy is, we have to make sure that we don't have as guest editors. Yeah. Why would so it's it's that sense of we need to make the public square smaller, actually, if we everyone's acting like like uh, bouncers uh, at a uh, at a strip club, right? Like they're working the velvet rope. You can't come in. You can't come in. You can't come in. We're going to have the special conversation here that we call journalism. And if you're too deplorable, you can't be part of that conversation. Do you know where this comes from, too? And if you had said this in 2017, and maybe I kind of brushed up against it, people would have said, you are a lunatic. Maybe they'll say it now. But it is a result of the obsession, weirdly, with truth, right? Because who could object to that? We love, we, we have gone so far from truth and facts. And there's been an exploitation of this in the Trump years particularly because Donald Trump had, you know, only a glancing familiarity with the truth and a very difficult relationship with it. So we have a thing where everything in news becomes, you know, somebody says with no evidence and, you know, every Chiron has become more aggressive in the past four years. The Chiron, by the way, is that the lower third on uh, television where they're editorializing these days <laughs> and this, and, and people say, well, how could you say that? How could you think that truth is actually the problem here? Well, the problem is if you look at the what happened to the, the Ben Shapiro thing, it was saying like, well, he says things that aren't true. And I was looking at the tweets in this. It's like, well, you want to have somebody who's lying all the time. We, we Our obsession is with truth. and But truth is not this concept that is so easy that I know that this is a piece of wood and this is a rock. I mean, there's no, there's no sort of in between there. This is this kind of idea that truth is a concept that we can all agree upon. And that we have to, after what happened with Donald Trump, fight in the service of, okay, sounds fine to me, but is there going to be anything bad about it? Where can we see this going horribly wrong? Well, we can see people saying, Fox News does not say things that are true. We should take it off the air. Now, truth, this word truth, is a weapon of silencing people because they're not saying things that are true. And then you say this to Max Boot or whoever. Well, you know it's not true. Well, no, that's true. I do. I know that the thing about Stop the Steal isn't true. I, I happen to disagree that if someone says something that isn't true is a lie, that you do it on your network. 
that you do it in your newspaper column and call that stuff out and everybody knows. And guess what? Donald Trump lost the election, right? So we're not in this crisis that everybody's, oh, 72 million people voted for Donald Trump. Well, I find it hard to believe that 72 million people voted for Donald Trump because they believed very specific lies that Donald Trump told. Of course, lots of people believe that. They, the, you know, the other side of Donald Trump lies too. You're going to have Joe Biden lying a lot in the next six months. And why? Because Joe Biden's a liar and a fraud? No, because he's a politician. And that's what they do. And to get things done, they have to lie. Donald Trump was was promiscuous in his lying. He was a person that we have never seen on the scene like this. But do not use this as an opportunity to say we now have to judge lies in a way that they are so dangerous, these lies, that people storm the Capitol. There's seeing that happen. There was I saw that slobbering, excited opportunism, which is like, there are five people dead. There's six people like, no, you're now adding people who had heart attacks or, you know, ate too many burritos and like everything was, they were trying to make it look as bad as possible. It was already fucking horrible and bad. But the thing is, is that when it's a coup, when it is a revolution, when it is, um, you know, a white supremacist uprising that there were people that were white supremacists in there for sure. And that this was this one kind of undifferentiated mass of terrorism. Well, that has been provoked by now we go to Congress. Parler was did it. Well, Facebook did it, Mika, and Parler, Representative Maloney, keep going down. Now the Russians are involved. The 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 quest for truth has become a mania to silence shitty ideas. Shitty ideas should not be silenced. And and don't mistake me here, people. I know they're shitty ideas. They're awful ideas. I spent spent the other day sitting in an interview arguing with somebody who had all these shitty ideas and at one point saying, you can't fucking possibly believe this. (laughs) I literally said that in an interview. And I said, you're too smart to believe this. Because the guy was, you know, you know, doing a degree in X, Y, and was, you know, he wasn't a dummy. So that's, I think, how you do it. But I find it really, I thought that there was a moment that the truth thing would be used and weaponized in a way that you have to stop the untruths. Not debate the untruths, but stop the untruths. And I think that's where we are now, and it's a, it's a damn shame, you know? I, I, you just can't sit down and allow people to say, that it's a lie, it hurts people. Yeah, that you can say that about a lot of things. And imagine the worst case scenario, the lie that hurts people should be shut down, should be regulated, should be prosecuted, whatever it might be. You're you're asking for a real tangle right there. You're asking for a real mess in every possible way, a First Amendment mess, a legal mess, a sort of moral mess. And you're going to make everybody worse off because of it. We've been having a a 10-year process in which the legal uh, strictures or support for free speech have been bolstered, bolstered, strengthened, strengthened by the Supreme Court under John Roberts to an unprecedented degree, while at the same time the cultural value of free speech has been weakening, degraded, weakening, degraded. I think 2021 is the year where that reckoning comes, um, where we test the – Thesis by Barry Friedman, who wrote a book about this 10 years ago, about the Supreme Court basically lagging a public opinion by 10 years um, and sort of ratifying it uh, uh, in a post facto way, which is a provocative thesis. Um, we will see that happen this year. There will be legislation passed, regulations promulgated based on the freak out that 
we're going to see like post January 6th, post one six um, uh, uh, about uh, domestic terrorism and the media and all this kind of stuff. It's going to come to a boil section two thirty whatnot this year. It's going to be a test and it's also going to be a test of a lot of people's kind of uh, sense of rationality in approaching this. I don't have and, preliminary yeah. high hopes. And it only takes mm. one psycho Nazi. Right. So if one psycho Nazi does the Timothy McVeigh thing, blows something up, kills a lot of people, and in well, yeah. that process, I mean the Timothy McVeigh thing is a big thing. It, uh, it's an enormous <laughs> thing. But I mean, yeah. he, and there were there were a few more people involved in that, like Terry Nichols and some other uh, stuff. But you know, the response to that, and Jesse Walker has written kind mm-hmm. of brilliantly about this, and and the kind of militia moment in the mid '90s, and the response to that is that it, all it takes is one person. And if you have one person to have, I mean, these people are constantly in the Trump days, you know, I love the fact that it's in the past now, thank God, the Trump era that, you know, talking about the Reichstag fire and the one thing that you need to shut down civil liberties and everything. It's, I don't want to go that because I don't think that's what it is. But I think what it is, is that if you literally have a lone wolf and the FBI has been talking about the, the, the big danger, and I think that that strikes me as probably correct would be this lone wolf guys like the guy in Nashville, just one guy, and he could have written about it on Facebook, he could have com- been on one of these groups, communicated with it, and by himself, we're a nation of 330-odd million people, decides to go blow something up, uh, you know, and he's a shitbag Nazi, and, well, maybe he was a Trump supporter, whatever it might be, and say, oh my God, we, this, is, this is what the internet has wrought. This is what social media has wrought. This is what, you know... Republicans have wrought. I mean, the Cory Bush thing, which is let's kick these people out of Congress, despite the fact that they've been elected because they have shitty, stupid ideas and they have shitty, stupid ideas. Yes, that isn't the fucking point, people. The point is not about the shitty ideas. The point is for Cory Bush to get up there and talk about how shitty they are and then challenge. If they're clever, to go up on the floor and, and challenge individual Republicans and say, I know you're not a fucking dummy. Get up here and tell me that you believe that. Come on, do it. Do my face right now. Tell me that you believe that this election was stolen, and I will debate you on it right now. That will be a clip that goes everywhere. Instead, they're like, we've got to get them out of Congress. We have to figure out a way to, to dial back what these voters wanted. And you know what? That's why we have multiple elections, because the next time around, you can kick them out. Is this complicated? Why am I the only one that thinks this is complicated? Not complicated. Jesus fucking Christ. I hate them all so much. Anyway. What time did Are we you done? eat your Adderall? I just ate. I, I yeah. literally ate seven of them. <laughs> <laughs> Is Camille with us still? No, no. Camille's, yeah. Camille's on Bill Maher right now. Yeah. <laughs> you there? Camille? Yeah. Camille? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. What were you doing? Okay. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm my, my H6 is having trouble. Okay. I had to reboot it. Is um, that a euphemism? No, no. You just missed me making zero sense. It was so, great. No, I heard so, it was great. I could hear you. You couldn't hear me. It was right. the issue. Yeah. I reset. I reset you it. You were like, then, fuck you. Crack <laughs> 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 ass <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Defending racists. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. It's fine. No. Yeah, that's good. No, no, no you should. It. You should. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, are we. We can should bounce. We wrap up now. We're we can good. bounce. We could, this is the beginning of a new era. It's great. Yeah. Well, it's morning in America, Camille. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little less enthusiastic than you guys. It's funny. No, I, I put a you text there. with, um, I text with, uh, Andrew Sullivan earlier today, who I love and adore and think is remarkable. And I was just saying, Hey, you know, happy new year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I also just read, um, his column from the week before. Send your dick pic. I think it's from the week before. Um, and I mean, Andrew is very, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, no, we can hear you. Michael's oh, just making sorry. a lot of homoerotic uh, commentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and Andrew, um, Andrew is also very excited uh, about you know turning the page here. I mean, there are plenty also, of things he's concerned also, about going forward. You, but you, I mean, you make you know, that sound like are. Michael and I are are excited. No, I'm about saying turning lots of people are turning the page, yeah. and at a minimum, there's been some. You know, I'm glad he's gone, etc. Sentiments expressed, and kind of glad I, he's what gone. I'm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what I'm what I'm getting ready to say is that. Yeah, you know, part of what Andrew lays out a case for is, you know, to the extent you're going to impeach the guy, impeach him because he's like denigrated the electoral system and denigrated people's faith in it uh, by, you know, telling these preposterous lies. And I think it's true that he's told preposterous lies. Um, but the denigration of faith in the system um, was happening already. Mm-hmm. And as Andrew lays out in his piece, like after the 2016 election, like lots of Democrats were saying, yeah, we don't think he won fair and square. And the fact that there's been a trajectory, like a downward trajectory in terms of like faith that the electorate places in the election electoral outcomes, especially when their person loses, shocking. Um, The fact that there's a downward trend is important. And the fact that somebody like Trump comes along and wins in general, I think is important. And all of it is indicative of some sort of broader trend, perhaps. And perhaps Joe Biden coming along and, and bumbling Mr. Magooing his way into the mm-hmm. White House um, is not, you know, it's bright, hopeful. We've turned the page in a material sense. Like, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to 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 feel at all like terribly enthusiastic about you know turning the page on Trump and the clown show that was that administration. I think this is a different clown show. I saw yesterday there was some like press release or something or a statement from the incoming press secretary who is now the press secretary saying, yeah, I mean this is going to be an administration that is transparent and honest. And people were enthusiastically retreating this, like, you know, finally, we're back. You're going to tell the truth now. And it's like, are you kidding? Are you, are you joking? Like, what these people do is spin. And they lie. And they misrepresent the truth, like, routinely. And it's fair to call them dishonest liars. And yes, politicians are dishonest liars. And does it mean that they lie the way Trump did? No, he wasn't a very good liar. He lied, like, all the time in ways that were just not at all credible. Like these people traffic in euphemisms and they're more sophisticated. Um, Donald Trump's lies were so insane that he made the lies that you expect to get from an administration like Joe Biden's sound like the truth. But we, but we just talked a little earlier in the conversation about like Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton talking about Putin calls and the likelihood that, you know, Donald Trump was on the phone talking to his handlers in Russia about the the <laughs> the riot that was taking place on the Capitol. It's an absurd thing to say. And it's not as though <laughs> Democrats haven't been talking openly about, you know, various uh, electoral shenanigans that the Trump administration was apparently engaged in and Republicans were broadly engaged in beyond the lies 
during the stop steal thing. Like this is where we are. Nobody points out that Melania comes from a country that was a former Soviet satellite. I mean, maybe she's. I mean, she's fifty years old. She's we, old enough. We've heard, that, we heard that before. Well, well. no, Yugoslavia and, and then, was not in the Warsaw Pact. <laughs> Wait, where was she from? Where is she from? She's from Slovenia, dude. I thought she was from Slovakia. <laughs> wow, what? that's so racist. That is that is a little racist, actually. But I don't know. I mean, that all of that and the the general effect on journalism. Oh. We we've got some. It'll be an interesting four years. We'll have to see how quickly folks get around to holding this administration accountable. It'll I can, never happen. Come on. I can <laughs> give you a, a glimpse into it. So Biden in his uh, in his inaugural address said a bunch of stuff like, you know, we're going to not do the lies and we're going to do the facts. And mm. um, and also, like, I'm always going to square with you. So, I, <laughs> OK, I'm actually fine with all that. Um, I, I want You're fine with those claims. Uh, not with the claims, but with uh, that being laid down as hold me to this, right? Yeah. That's the way I see it. And so I uh, tweeted out something along the lines. I was saying earlier that this is what Jake Tapper retweeted. I think Brian Stelter also did. Um, and uh, and I was I just sort of reiterated those and said, let's hold him to that, shall we? Mm. People were so mad at me for saying that. They were yeah. so mad at me. They were yeah. either mad at me because, like, oh, of course the MSM is never going to do that. Come on, are you stupid? That was one uh, category mm-hmm. of mad, which, you know, I understand. Um, but also, like, dude, it, like, let's create a hopeful universe and also, like, a, a track record. <laughs> uh, there was the other one, like, why do you got to be a libertarian twat now? Like, as if, you know, like, it's too soon. It's too soon to say to the president, let's hold him to uh, his words. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't get that at all. People, uh, people are, well, because, like, the implication being that obviously I didn't uh, criticize Donald Trump enough for lying, um, mm. which shows a great familiarity with my or anybody else's work. Any, um, unless you're Louise Mensch, shut your mouth <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was about to go Anchorman there, but I decided not to. Uh, but uh, uh, no, like it's it. That's it. Everyone is so like inflamed uh, uh, on the polarization and the, and the politicalness of it all that they can't just see it. And what we had under Obama was at least half of his presidency was the fact checks were all pointed towards Republicans, even though the Democrats ran things. Um, we are going to see that so much over the next two years. Oh my God. My complaint has been, and I've been asking listeners to keep track of this is the without evidence thing, which I always love pointing out. It's like, you know, uh, Donald Trump said without <laughs> evidence, without evidence, whatever. And it's like, okay, that's fine. That's good. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's um, been retired. Now. Just keep that it up. It's not a thing just keep anymore. It up. Just, I just no, keep no. it up. I'd it's love for you to keep it up. I picked up the newspaper the other day, oh, no. opened it, put my half glasses down on my nose, put my <laughs> pipe in my mouth. A little green visor. Yeah, and I was like, I, I, I've got to read the paper now. <laughs> and I, was, I became Jimmy Stewart to the paper. And uh, I was reading, I sent this to Camille because I knew it would make him like punch out a window. And uh, this is a, a thing about coronavirus in China. And this is the New York Times, not a wire story that the New York Times ran. This is the last paragraph of a story about China and COVID. Yeah. So here it is. The virus's origin is just one of the many enduring mysteries of a virus that has officially infected nearly 100 million people and likely many more around the globe. 
Likely hmm. many more. Likely many more. They don't know, likely. but likely many more. Last sentence. In this week, <laughs> in this week, underscoring just how persistent and pervasive it is, it claimed its first life in China since May. <laughs> what? <laughs> Without evidence, the Chinese say that is the first in, since May. Since May. But the previous sentence says likely more. The next sentence takes the Chinese Communist Party propaganda as word, you know, without evidence and says, uh, and this weekend is wearing just how persistent and pervasive it is. It claimed its first life in China since May. Oh, dear. That's where we are. Is that right? Can you also reread that sentence just for the use of the word it? Because was there an, it was an it in there? There's a, I think a double it. That's my problem. Oh, yeah. And this week, underscoring just how pervasive, uh, how persistent and pervasive it is, it claimed its first life in China what? since May. Wait, that's one sentence? That's one sentence. Yeah, yeah. that's not a good Two sentence. Yeah, Two it's in one bad, sentence. Uh, bad sentence. Oh, wow. Bad reporting, bad sentence. My 12-year-old, I'm like, dude, do not put two it's in a sentence. I love that. But I love that the previous sentence, what I only just noticed now, which says, likely more. And then it's like, in China, <laughs> first death since May. Says Xi Jinping, he just texted without me. Without evidence. He, I just, just want to I want to escape this recording without talking about all of the euphemisms that were used to describe the protests that took place yesterday. And I don't think it's fair to call it a protest when the people who are engaged in the activities are clad all in black. It is a celebration of democracy. All engaged in smashing windows and vandalizing property. Um, You're talking don't about Seattle know that that qualifies as a protest. Anymore. Seattle and Portland. Yeah. Well, the great the great thing about about that we don't have to talk about, but the great thing about that, and we can end on this, (laughs) is that um, I like the fact that people are like, "Wait, it's not about Donald Trump." (laughs) They burned down the Democratic Party headquarters in uh, Seattle. Had a like they were telling you banner is a banner that said uh, "fuck Biden." Is it "fuck Biden"? And it was like you cannot. We want a revenge. What was this? We we, we want revenge. Was we that what it said? Revenge. Oh, there's yeah. another one that was like, we can't be governed or something. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're ungovernable. We're ungovernable. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. That's not something you want to brag about. That's going to turn me <laughs> into Moynihan, which is turning <laughs> Moynihan into Heather McDonald. But like, like these assholes breaking windows, like being outside of Powell's bookstore for a week, yeah. like over a book, um, uh, are saying we're ungovernable. It's like, okay. dude, maybe... Maybe you want maybe you want to be introduced to the government. I, I want them yeah. to go to the jail where they will be governed <laughs> by the jail man. Yeah, I don't I don't know how long this stuff lasts, but um <laughs> yeah. I miss Melania. <sighs> oh, I love Already. Melania. Already. Oh. I think that's the thing. I'm a little down tonight. Is yeah. that why? I'm a little down. Did you see when she got off the plane in Mar Lago and she changed in that Gucci dress? Mm. Good. Oh, you are the best. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go now and uh, just watch her farewell speech and, and just weep. Yeah. So yeah. Here's, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. A year from now, is oh. Donald Trump's network net worth higher or lower than it is today? <laughs> what is his net worth today? I think I'm probably, I don't know, probably in, worth about the same. But just in general. But just all in general. Smoke and we know what happens lower. usually lower. when a president leaves office. Oh, oh like lower. lower. Boo-hoo lower. money. Lower. Has any president left office Losing money? in like a, a worse situation? Certainly not in like the modern era. I'm I mean, not sure that he's was, in a worse was situation. Was Nixon at a lower point when he left office than, than when Trump left office? No, his was, I think, the lowest 
Yeah, it wasn't. It was like thirty-five percent approval or something like that when he left. I mean, uh, uh, George W. Bush had a lower uh, approval rate. Was Did it? He? Was it lower? Yes, yeah, oh, in the twenties. Oh, okay, all right. Well, maybe Love, loved and revered now. Yeah, I mean, years was, of painting will do that for you. Lincoln had it worse off, I guess. Oh, yeah. And in case any of you soon. out there who, who um, aren't familiar with this, Lincoln <laughs> got shot in the head. Yeah, yeah, I got shot by an actor. Yeah. Tim Wilkes Booth or something. <laughs> what oh are we still God. doing here? Let's go home. Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.